Jesus said, Behold, I come quickly. 2,000 years ago, his words came to pass. AD 70, Jerusalem surrounded by armies. The temple destroyed. Sacrifices ceased. The end of the age. So where are we at on the prophetic timeline of history? Jesus said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And that we have been made kings and priests to reign here on earth. The Revelation Red Pill, the kingdom of God is now. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, now and forever. Amen. Welcome back to Revelation Red Pill Wednesday. I'm one of your hosts, Michelle. Leah is coming down shortly. Been doing big business here on the farm, working on stuff outside, planting in the garden. And it's hard to pull ourselves away, go slap on some clothes that make us look half human and come downstairs to the studio. But it's so worth it because these weeks are my favorite night that we do getting into the word of God and showcasing how just how that intro says the kingdom of God is right now. We live it. We walk it, we breathe it, we take dominion. You know, one thing last night, I want to tell you a little secret. So Lee and I have been doing some um, wonderful spiritual warfare for, for several different things, actually. And this, the, <laughs> Lee is laughing upstairs. Uh, the scripture that keeps coming to mind is, behold, I have given you all power over all the power of the enemy. That's a really bold statement. Like that's kind of huge, right? To think about it. I have given you all power over all the power of the enemy. What? So last night, let y'all in on a little something, something. I shouldn't, I shouldn't do it though. Cause it's not that great. But I, I wrote a song Leah, and, and it's actually, I don't have the part where Leah's with me where it's much better. Leah came in later. Um, no, nope. Hang on. Wait, wait, no, that wasn't a good part. I have the power, I have the power over all the enemy. I have the power, I have the power, I have the power over all the enemy. And then Leah came in, Leah's laughing. She's got, she's literally laughing at me right now off camera. I'm laughing because no time ever is a song recorded on a cell phone that sounds good ever. I know. it comes back. It comes Leah, back like a you're like a not helping. You help. know why it's on the cell phone though? Because you can remember it. Because I was too lazy to write it down. So I just recorded what I was playing on the piano. Um, but I hope that what you take away from Revelation Red Pill, if you don't take away anything. You have the power. You have the power over all the enemy. Come on now. I was getting so into that song. I stood up off the piano bench. It was good stuff, man. Come on. Come I on. have the power. Y'all not, y'all need y'all need me to finish that song and record it for real, real, real. So y'all can sing it too. Yeah. Come on. So I have good. the power over all the enemy. Come on. So we need somebody. If you guys know anybody, it would be so cool. I need somebody who knows how to do some like uh digital like drums and you mean other make it sound better no like add more instruments oh i know i know i, wish I actually spent several hours like watching other people do it and like with equip sound equipment and stuff and becca shay's husband 
uh, does all that for her. Like she writes the Get songs, out. and he'll go in and add drums and Nuh-uh. all these like. So she doesn't have a band. No, her, it's just she's a, it, we're literally a one man band. <laughs> I've watched him do it. He'll be like, no, and he'll like take all her songs. I'm like, dude, I need one of those. That's awesome. All right, Mark Pierce in the house from Gateway Church in Indiana says, Leah, Michelle, howdy, howdy, let's get rowdy. We're going to get rowdy tonight. Y'all, we took it to a vote last week. Yes. What we were going to talk about this week. And y'all wanted to know who the Antichrist is. So we are going to get into that digging deep, the man of lawlessness and the Antichrist, the beast. All right, but before, now listen. Uh, these videos are going to go down for the ages, just like Revelation Red Pill Academy. However, when we're recording them live, there are things that are really happening. So I want to tell you guys something really cool. July 4th, 2023, we are going to be joining with Banners for Freedom. They're coming to town for their Remnant Revolution Tour. You can go to remnantrevolutiontour.com. They're going around the country doing revival and stuff. We have bought 113 tickets. We bought out the theater practically of except this, for the bad seats up front except for the bad seats. nobody wants to sit in those seats ever for the sound of freedom jim yeah. caviezel tim ballard um and that's going to be on july 4th at 1 in milford ohio if you live anywhere near us within like a couple hour drive come we want you to come because we're going to be doing free. things for three days actually yeah. with them so stay tuned for that and be looking for the flyer but put that mark that on your calendar july yes. 4th 1 yeah, uh, we are, we're giving away tickets, and what we're going to do is there's fireworks down at our local town, Milford, uh, the night before, and any tickets that don't go to you guys, we're going to give away as a, as witnessing. We're going to go street witnessing. Yeah, so come with us if you would like. Yes. So join us down. Sparks, Talk to people. Sparks. Now, we're not going to just go handing out tickets for free, like, as you're passing by, because we want the people to actually come. Have a conversation. Do you want to come? Parks Will you come? in the parks, Milford, Ohio. Yeah. Message us if you, and we'll be, Michelle's going to make a flyer for I'm that. I'm going to make a flyer. Yeah. Okay. All right. So now, real deal, transcending the ages for these episodes here. The man of lawlessness is not a phrase that is as Where is that from, by well the way? Do you know? Known. Do you know where it's from? You wrote the description. I helped write the description. You helped write, you wrote the description. Yeah. I just, I just edited it for grammatical errors. Second, second, second Thessalonians chapters two and three. Yeah. So the man of lawlessness is often referred to as the, like the antichrist. And here's the thing, the man of lawlessness, the antichrist, um, is kind of how they put it together is the linchpin kind of scripture for dispensationalists. But what's really interesting about it is that scholars down through the ages, haven't really understood this scripture mm. and and uh saint augustine literally wrote i have i really don't know what he's saying here <laughs> i really don't understand and yeah. you know what i love when people say i really don't understand i think it's great i think that those are the most real honest people and i actually would rather have a pastor or somebody to listen to that like reads a passage that's difficult and, and says I don't know if I really understand this than somebody who like makes it up. Yeah. You know, the people who make it up mm-hmm. and try to make it fit. Don't do that. You know why? Because it'll be found out later. It's like a puzzle. You can put that piece in there. Like I know it fits and you've tried to, answer, you know, I'm just going to stick it there. I'm just sticking it there. But then in the end, when the real pieces come around, don't fit. 
Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I do know what you're saying. Then you got to pull that puppy back out. And if you've been doing it with a teaching, it's a little more painful than an actual puppy. Just saying. So can you go ahead and take this block? So there are some of these that we've been able to do that have a blog that goes along with it, that has it written out. This is one of those. Are they just use blogger for tonight? And then I may make it into a resistance. Well, can you make sure that when this video goes up, it's in the description because people really should be able to find all these links and things. Okay. So while my inner internet is coming up, we plug you in wouldn't hurt, but, um, I can use the, the, editable version when you read through this blog it gets it's it's interesting the way i did these in 2020 because you guys know we went through kind of the same thing in 2020 but we've been adding to it and making it even better and more of you are here what the lord would often show me is basically a refresher for everybody who if you're new if you've never heard it before we're at, add some scriptures to it. So I'm going to do that. And you're just buckle up now. So on our Friday show, you say, you like to say, grab some popcorn. And I think it's kind of weird at six o'clock. We grab, grab popcorn. <laughs> Hang on. You can eat popcorn anytime of the day. Let's argue about that. Well, no, I just feel like it's weird to go grab some popcorn. Go grab a friend is what I kind of like it at six, grab some coffee in the morning, but it is late enough that you can go grab some popcorn. And on Wednesdays, this is, you can snack. First of all, you need your Bible, you need your pen, and you definitely need your notebook and this your highlighter. Is, you know, it's so funny because I kind of tease about churches that have coffee bars or popcorn or different things. But, but we're not providing those things for you. No, but you're in the comfort of your own home. Eat, baby. You can totally, like, let this be food for your soul and snack away as you as you listen. I, I don't, I, I feel like Leah's is given permission for this to be your, like, cheat day. Cheat day? No, like, like, make it fun. Make it fun. Make it fun. This should be inter- entertaining as well as educational, because you will be entertained today and educated. Type and shadow. I've heard it um, say that some can see that AD seventy and the events that, that led up to it were a fulfillment of Matthew twenty four, Luke, Mark tw- thirteen, and Luke seventeen twenty one, and yet they still see a future fulfillment. My major problem with this series is that Jesus came to fulfill all the law and the prophets, and the canon is closed, baby. The canon is closed. All right? So we aren't accepting new works into the inspired, living, breathing word of God category. And as such, any fulfillment of the so prophecies... So you want me to publish this, or is this why you wanted me to put it in... No, no, no. I, you can take it's the whole published. thing. That's because I made one uh, update, and, it, and I guess it's not updating. Oh, I, I fixed okay. one word. All right. It's so funny. Um, like literally one word. Uh, the major problem with this series is that Jesus came to fulfill all the law and the prophets and the canons closed. So we're not accepting new works into the inspired uh, living, breathing word of God. As such, any fulfillment of the prophecies set out in canon need to be interpreted in this light, making note of something. There's no other prophetic word to say that this was filled in AD 70 and it will be fulfilled again. And Matthew 24 does not say anything about a double fulfillment. Mm. Okay. So the canon's closed. No more. It, no more. Okay. So to say that Matthew 24 would have two fulfillments or that the temple would be destroyed 
and then rebuilt to have an antichrist set himself up in it, Math, uh, Second uh, Thessalonians 2, defies all proper biblical hermeneutics or exegesis. Exegesis is, is explaining the Bible in context and time and in the light of the rest of scripture. Nowhere does Jesus nor the apostles give us leave to apply their words to two very distinct and separate meanings. But Leah, the Old Testament had dual meanings when prophesying of the coming Messiah. Can't the New Testament have dual meanings? Because there were there were definite uh, prof prophetic words about the rebuilding uh, with, of the uh, temple the second time with um, under um, with Zerubbabel and um, Ezra, all those guys. Well, and then it would be, and then those prophecies also would be fulfilled now. But here's the thing. Um, no, and here's why. In the Old Testament, Israel was ruled as a theocracy where prophets of the old would help lead and guide the leaders and kings with words from God. And often their prophetic words were filled with an underlying message of the coming Messiah. Isaiah is filled with prophecies, both blatant and dual some having direct application to the day, but ultimately telling us what the Messiah would look like, how he would come, and what his kingdom would do. So when the apostles are explaining the coming of the Lord that the New Testament believers were to look for, they were explaining Old Testament prophecies. They weren't coming up with new ones. Do you understand that? Not coming up with new prophecies. They're explaining old prophecies. Jesus' first advent was twofold, salvation and judgment. The judgment looked like it was delayed, but it was coming, coming quickly, coming shortly. It was at hand. God was giving his people, the Jews, space to hear the gospel and repent. Jesus explained who he was and why he came to his apostles, and they passed down these beautiful mysteries to us. But in many ways, Jesus spoke quite plainly in John 2, 13. What does he say, Michelle? Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand and Jesus went up to Jerusalem and he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers doing business. When he had made a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen and poured out the changers money and overturned the tables. And he said to those who sold doves, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise or a den of thieves. Then his disciples reminded that it was, remember that it was written, zeal for your house has eaten me up. Keep going. So the Jews answered and said to him, what sign do you show to us since you do these things? And Jesus answered and said to them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. Then the Jews said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple. Remember Daniel's prophecy, rebuilding the temple for seven weeks, 49 years. That's Leah, Leah adding there. And you will raise it up in three days. And Leah says, notice here the complete lack of any prophecy of any other temple built with hands. That's really important. Verse 21. But he was speaking of the temple of his body. Therefore, when he had risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this to them and they believed the scriptures and the word that which Jesus had said. Yeah. And then Mark 14, 55 says, now the chief priests and all the councils sought testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimonies did not agree. Then some rose up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with hands, and within three days I will build another made without hands. But not even then did their testimony agree. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, saying, Do you answer nothing? What is it that these men testify against you? But he kept silent, and he didn't answer anything. And the high priest asked him, saying, Are you the Christ, the Son of God? And Jesus said, I am. 
and you will see you, you guys, the son of man sitting at the right hand of power and what coming with the clouds of heaven. So our friends, Joy and Matt Thayer did a really good episode on coming in the clouds. You guys can check that at uh, Spiro, Spiro pictures. Then the high priest tore his clothes. What further need do we have witnessed it, uh, against this guy? Clouds of heaven are often used to signify the judgment of God. Indeed, as we have covered before, judgment. Psalms 18:11. He made darkness his secret place. His pavilion round about him were dark waters and thick clouds of the skies. Psalm 18:12. At the brightness that was before him, his thick clouds passed. Hailstones and coals of fire. Jeremiah 4:13. Behold, he shall come up as the clouds, and his chariot shall be as a whirlwind. His horses as swift, swifter than eagles. Wound us for we're spoiled. Daniel 7:13. I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven, and came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Joel 2:2. The day of darkness, of gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness, as the morning spread upon the mountains. Okay, you, you, are you guys picking up what I'm laying down? Zephaniah 1.15. The, the day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble, distress, a day of wastes and uh, desolation, of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness. Matthew 24.30. What's this one say, Michelle? And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. So in the Old Testament, a lot of those scriptures that I read were fulfilled with different battles, different things that God was doing with Jerusalem at that time. And it was a, it's, um, it words that God would use to signify judgment, but here's to the give deal. you a, a visual picture of what was happening in the heavenlies. Leah, I see this imagery in the old Testament imagery. as you know how, when the wind blows, you don't see the wind, but yes. you see the evidence of the wind. Yes. We see the evidence of Jesus having come in the clouds yes. in judgment in yes. 70 AD. Yes. The same way that we saw the evidence of his judgment in the Old Testament and, and, and all of these things that were prophesied in these scriptures that we just read. Yeah. You see the evidence of it in the fact that the, God's enemy was destroyed. You see the evidence of it when literally yeah. the judgment of Israel happened in 70 AD. But there is something interesting that we've talked about here. And it's worth bringing up again for those of you that maybe you're tuning in late. You haven't watched all the other 16 episodes in the book of Josephus that I just, who is a in, Jewish historian of the time of uh, Christ. Credible by all authorities, secular and non-secular, Christian theologians, secular theologians, they use this man's work as actual historical fact. Yes. Everyone does. Yeah. And it was recorded at the time that there were legions seen in the clouds, essentially angels, angels seen in the clouds. And he, chariots. And chariots. It is recorded. Yeah. So if you need that to be actual and literal it really was mm -hmm. but you don't need it to be actual and literal because of the old testament yeah so matthew 26 64 and jesus said unto them uh you have said nevertheless i say unto you hereafter you shall see hereafter you shall see the son of man sitting on the right hand of power and coming and coming you shall see he's the, these are time frames that cannot be and those are paired together by the way you, you'll see jesus at the right hand and coming how does he do that mm. Mm. 
Okay, Mark 13, 26. And then we shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. Mark 14, 62. I am, and Jesus said, I am, and you shall see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Thessalonians, I cannot fess. I, this is going to be a hard episode for me. Is there, can somebody give me just like a cool way to say this? I can't say, I am embarrassed to say it. You know why you have trouble with it? Maybe don't say the first or second, because that's going to mess can you up. Can I just say Thessalonians? No, you can't. Thessalonians? No. I can't say Thessalonians. I feel like I have a lift. Thessalonians. That, that, that does make you sound like you have a list. Seth. Thess. Seth. Stop it. <laughs> like a snake. Uh, you just say it. If it's in the blog, you just say it. Thessalonians. One. Okay. Okay. Here First. we go. First Thessalonians. Uh, four. Why <laughs> you Just say it how you want to say it. Thessalonians. You said Thessalonians. I was trying to say it quickly. Why'd you have to laugh? Then uh, we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. And we're going to go over this a little bit more today than we did last week. Um, to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. If you guys ever wondered what that was, and I know you did last week. And I don't think we gave you a very good explanation you know, of it. But no, this week I'm good. Oh, to, I was to, given an email about that from, um, I think her name was Nancy. Forgive mm -hmm. me if I'm wrong. Asking specifically about first Thessalonians four, and uh, awesome. and I said, and I gave her an explanation, and the one that I gave you guys last week, and I said, also watch, and she finally made it to episode sixteen. She said, I watched episode sixteen, and you absolutely answered all my questions on the rapture. Thank you. Oh, great. All right. So Revelation one seven. Behold, he comes with the clouds, and this is your favorite. What does that come mean? It means to to start something and then to continue it. It like it's a never, coming. It, it's it's a coming and it's a continual motion. All right. That's what that word literally means to start something. And then it continues. Behold, he's coming with the clouds and every eye shall see him. And they also who pierced him, um, the people who pierced him, are they alive today? They are not alive today. They'd be really like old. Right. Uh, with all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. Acts 7.55. But he, being filled with the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. This is Stephen. And look, what's, look what happened with Stephen. He says, look, I see the heavens open, the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. The heavens open. He saw, he saw him on the clouds. Yes. Okay. All right. So Luke 17, the coming of the kingdom. You know, one of the parts of uh, in all of this, we cover Matthew 24 a lot. Mm -hmm. We touch on Mark 4. If you guys know the Olivet Discourse, write this down because it's really important. It'll help you. Um, Mark 13, Luke 21, and Matthew 24. That's your trifecta. That's your Olivet Discourse trifecta. However, Luke is actually 17 and 21, kind of two chapters together. So Luke 17, the coming of the kingdom. Now, when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, and if you guys, do you want to tell them about the episode we did today? Because it was like a Revelation Red Pill on steroids. It was. We called it a Revelation Red Pill nugget. That's what I called it. But it's got to be more than nugget. It's like bombshell. It's if like, you found a gold nugget, it would be really valuable. It, but this is, that was kind of like a little bit of finding like gold, a gold vein. I can remove the word nugget. No, it's it okay. Gold vein. No, 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 no. Just tell them about the show. Okay, so we were supposed to go on Real America's Voice. They forgot about us. It's okay. Mel Gibson was on. I get it. Whatever. Not even kidding. No, we show up. We're dressed. And we're all ready to go. We wait and we wait and we wait. And apparently and I text one of the producers. I'm like, um, are we coming on today? So we get a phone call from uh, some guy named David. and uh, he's, he's like, so sorry. Can you come on tomorrow? And I was like, no, actually, we're kind of really busy. But um, 
And then my mom's and then like, my mom's like, you know who they had on instead of y'all? Mel Gibson. time slot. In our time slot. I get it. That's all right. I ain't hurt. At least it was for somebody like Mel Gibson and not somebody just like lesser than that. You know what I lesser mean? Lesser than that. Okay. So anyway, so we're sitting here. We're all dressed in this same outfit. Get up. And uh, Leah's like, you know, I did get a word. And I'm like, we specifically recorded our Sunday show yesterday. So we would not sit down here for two hours, but that's okay. We did anyway. And we did this awesome show about the kingdom of God. You know, when Jesus came to preach, you know, he didn't come to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Like no. he did, but he really came to, what is the, he did. But what is the gospel of Jesus it's Christ? It's the gospel of the Jesus kingdom. Christ of the kingdom of God. So you're missing it. It's not just salvation. There's a door. Okay. And I said this on today's show. You get a house, but all these modern churches are pretty much just preaching the door. You go street witnesses and they're street witnessing and they're like, hey, there's this great door. But what's behind the door? Jesus came to preach the kingdom of God and the kingdom of God is pulling down rulers and principalities in high places and heaven invading earth so that at some point when the kingdom of heaven is fully realized here on earth and has fully invaded earth, I don't know how long that's going to take, may take thousands of years. I have no idea. But at some point, the, the kingdom of God will be everywhere. Darkness will be completely expelled from the earth. We can't even imagine what that is. That's the gospel. But here's the cool part. We live out of heaven. We are seated with him in heavenly places. And, and so we, we go, are a part of the kingdom. The, goes. We are in the kingdom of God. We are strangers on this earth because we are in the kingdom. We walk out of, we walk on this earth out of the kingdom. So the Revelation Red Pill series is the kingdom of God and how we take dominion in every area. And your life will manifest in your area the kingdom of God. So when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them and said, the kingdom of God doesn't come with observation. Uh-oh. There's no, that, that blows away everything. There's no rapture, no. But I'm going to see him in the clouds, Leah. I'm going to see him in the clouds. You're, you're, you're waiting. If you're waiting for the kingdom of God to come with observation, you're, it's, it's, that's like saying, I'm going to sit here and watch this tree grow. Okay, it's going, you'll see it, but it's not, nor will they say, see here, see there. Full stop, wait, what? They will not say, see here, for the kingdom of God is within. Jesus is explaining the coming on the clouds is a spiritual coming with a physical manifestation, but he's given you the visual so that you'll know it's him. For indeed, the kingdom of God is within you. The kingdom of God is within. I truly don't know how to emphasize this anymore, but hopefully the Holy Spirit can drop this into your spirit. Give me a new Christian and keep him away from the modern end times eschatology and he will do wonders because they will not, they won't come up with the modern convoluted mess of their, on their own. It's taken over 150 years to tie this, um, to the rapture, to tie us up, to tie us up with the rapture. All right. So here we are in verse so 22. Jesus, then he said to the disciples, the days will come when you will desire to see one of the days of the son of man and you're not going to see it. Wait, what? He just said one of the days of the son of man. Again, he's pointing himself back to Daniel by saying the son of man, by saying the son of man. Every time you see son of man, he's pointing to Daniel. I'm the guy in Daniel. I'm the guy in Daniel. I'm the guy in Daniel. Uh, like maybe there is more than one. Why does he say you will not see it? And they will say to you, look here, look there. Do not go after them. 
Don't follow them. For as lightning flashes out of one part under heaven, shines to the other part under heaven, so also the Son of Man will be in his day. Um, this You're waiting for either a rapture or you're waiting for this millennial reign to come and happen that you think is going to happen on earth. It, it, no. I, it, no, it's the, this, this flashing, this instant is Jesus destroying the temple. I'm telling you. But he must suffer many things and be rejected by what? This generation. Notice, being rejected by this generation, they had 40 years. He goes, he's coming. It's going to come as a flash. You're not going to see it. You are going to see it. You're going to kind of see it, but you won't see it. Because the kingdom of God is within, and it'll be like a flash of lightning. Boom, it's over, done. Kingdom set up. He, he took this, he took the temple, he destroyed it, he made the switch. There had to be a switch. It, it, God, only God could destroy the sacrifices. And he did, and they don't do sacrifices anymore. It's good. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married wives. They were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so it will be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Note, this is not the end of the world. Look at what happens as the Son of Man is being revealed. I.e. the Jews in Jerusalem are about to lose their complete control over the temple, ending the sacrifices forever. In that day, he who is on the housetop and his goods are in the house, let him not come down and take them away. Do you know people who live in houses that sleep on the roof? And likewise... The one who is in the field, let him not turn back. Are most people agricultural farmers today? Remember Lot's wife, who seeks to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. But I tell you, in that night there will be two men in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding together. One will be taken and the other left. Two men will be in the field, uh, and one will be taken and the other left. And they answered and said to him, Where, Lord? And he said unto them, Wherever the body is, the eagles will be gathered together. And we covered this. But as a side note, the Roman army had an insignia of an eagle on their uniforms. And on a pole, they would bring it into their conquered lands. Now, let's just pause right here because I want to talk about this a little bit. So, when we're I'm, talking about... We're kind of doing an overview. The, um, I know. When you're okay. talking about the some taken and some left. Mm -hmm. And Jesus coming... There's destruction when Jesus comes. And I want you to take a second, if you are familiar, because some people, thank God, are not brainwashed by modern end times eschatology. However, most of us are or have been. And envision what we are told happens at the rapture. Leah, we are told when Jesus comes at, at the rapture, really, we don't see Jesus coming at all. We see all the Christians taken away and no destruction. So... Where in this eschatology teaching do we come back and all of the destruction happens? That's your question. And have the thousand year reign. Where is that? Like, it's just, it's just going to be, no one has any kind of, it's not really depicted in the end times films mm -hmm. at all. No, it's not. And that's not what we just read here. Right. We are talking about the taking away is the wicked. It's judgment. Mm -hmm. That's what is happening. The righteous, the, Corey Gray loves to talk about this. The, 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 the scripture says, I don't, I'm not chapter and verse girl. The righteous shall never be removed from the earth. How do you fit a rapture with the righteous being taken from the earth? Good question. 
Jesus was clear, really clear that he was the son of man prophesied in Daniel. And he was also clear that he was coming to confirm his covenant with his people. He was also adamant that when he was killed, he would be raised up in three days. He will confirm the covenant for three and a half years. And we covered Daniel pretty good. So I'm going to, I'm going to just kind of skip over this because I think that that was really recent for us. I'm going to scroll down here. I'm going to talk about a little bit about the Christians escaping, which is kind of really cool. Um, and talk about the abomination of desolation, Daniel 11. Of the abomination desolation to which she's referred, Daniel wrote, They shall pollute the sanctuary of strength, and they shall take away the daily sacrifice, and they shall place the abomination that makes desolate, Daniel 11.31. The abomination happened in uh, 170 B.C. Now, this is another, this is a type and shadow. Uh, when the Syrian king Antichosis, the Fourth ordered a massacre in Jerusalem, profaned the altar of the temple, and carried away the temple treasures. The horrifying events under an and it, I can never say it and Antiochus. Antioch, I bet that's what it is. Were familiar to every Jew, and those who heard Jesus's reference to Daniel vividly understood the Savior's prophecies. Among the tragedies that the Lord said would happen was the destruction of the temple. The magnificent structure Solomon had built had already been destroyed and rebuilt twice. It would be destroyed again and the Jews scattered to the four corners of the earth. Unfortunately, the New Testament is silent concerning the fulfillment of the Savior's prophecies in Matthew 24. History, however, reveals that his prophecies were realized. It also reveals the stunning fact that believers obeyed warnings, fled Jerusalem to a town called Pella, and thus saved themselves, the early Christian scholar Eusebius wrote. The whole body, however, of the church at Jerusalem, having been commanded by a divine revelation given to men of approved piety there before the war, removed from the city and dwelt at a certain town beyond the Jordan called Pella. Epiph uh, Epiphanius. Epiphanius also attested to the Christian escape, according to Bible scholar Adam Clark. Uh, the latter wrote, It is very remarkable that not a single Christian perished in the destruction of Jerusalem. Not one. Though there were many there when Cestius, Gallus, invested in the city. Invested? I think it's invaded. I think it is too. And he had preserved in this, persevered in the siege. He would soon have rendered himself master of it, but when he unexpectedly and unaccountably raised the siege, the Christian took that opportunity to escape. As Vespasian was approaching with his army, all who believed in Christ left Jerusalem and fled to Pella and other places beyond the River Jordan. And so they all marvelously escaped the general shipwreck of their country. Not one of them perished. Pella must not have been the only destination of fleeing Christians, but it was the most prominent at that time. The flight to Pella took place in AD 66 during the attack by Gaelus. Four years later came the fall of Jerusalem. Titus laid siege to the capital and his battering rams broke down the great walls. The Jews, who were already suffering from plunder, murder, pestilence, and famine among themselves, were easy prey for the fire and swords of the 10th Roman legion. The master's chilling words concerning the fate of the temple in Jerusalem were completely fulfilled, saying, Seest thou these great buildings? There shall not be one left let not be left one stone upon the other that shall not be thrown down mark 13 12 or 2 which we read that already the building the lord called my house in matthew 21 13 had stood on immense foundations of solid blocks of white marble covered with gold some of the blocks were 67 and a half feet long by nine, nine feet. feet thick it was this was a wonder of the world mm -hmm. by the way the imposing structure was the, laid waste. Well, the temple towered 100 feet in oh, the air. Oh, thank you. 
fronted by two immense columns. And then this imposing structure was laid waste with no part of the building left intact. Only a part of the original wall that had surrounded the Temple Mount remained. Jesus had given adequate warning and those who heeded the prophecy survived. While most others perished, Pella continued as an important Christian center for more than 70 years during the time that Jerusalem remained desolate. In extensive ruins of Pella lie near the modern village of Tabakat fall in the northern foothills of the Jordan Valley, perhaps the mountains Jesus referred to, 53 miles north of the Amman and two and a half miles east of the Jordan River. Do you, me, do you want to keep going? Now, dispensationists will tell you that Matthew 24 has not been fulfilled all the way or it was a type and shadow. They will also have to marry Daniel chapter 9, the prince who comes to make desolations to that 70th week and say we have been in great uh, great parenthesis to apply Daniel to the anti to be the anti uh, to be the antichrist type that is found in 2nd Thessalonians indeed Daniel 9 and 2nd Thessalonians are the bedrock of a premillennial rapture a seven year and a seven year tribulation theology you don't have a seven year tribulation without Daniel's ch uh, chapter Daniel 9 being applied to a future antichrist Instead of our living Lord. Now, that might not make sense to you, but if you go back and listen to it, Daniel 9 is referring to our Lord and Savior. And dispensationalists apply it to the Antichrist. Not okay. Go back and watch it. We've covered Daniel in the past couple weeks. Now let us dive into the linchpin of modern dispensationalist theology. Um, uh, that... Um, by the way, that was supposedly newly discovered, rediscovered in the 1800s, by the way, by a handful of British believers who were quite enamored with the idea of end times, prophecy, Edward Irving, Margaret MacDonald, Jonathan Derby, and the Plymouth Brethren. I hope to, and we actually dived in, dove into those already. All right, so to understand Second Thessalonians and the Antichrist, we should have a good grasp on, what, on who Paul was writing to why he was writing them, the time he was writing them, and finally the history around the writings. This is called good biblical exegesis, okay? The who, the what, the where, the why, the how, okay? The timing. Christ had come at just the right time, not just spiritually but politically. Daniel's beast shows four kingdoms that would rise and fall as each ruled over God's people. Finally, the rock cut out without hands from a mountain would crush all of these kingdoms and the Messiah would rule the nations with a rod of iron and the times of the Gentiles would be fulfilled and the reign of Messiah would commence as a mustard seed. The times of the Gentiles would be fulfilled, meaning we're over yeah. with the rules of the kings and the kingdoms. The, the God who used to work through Babylonia, the Medes and Persians, we're not... No, not anymore. And the book of Thessalonians was written about around 80, 51 to 52 and parallels Acts 17. The second book was written very shortly after to clear up some questions that were not clear in the first. The first book was full of exhortations and encouragement to continue on in their amazing faith and brotherly love. But there were a few issues he wanted to straighten out. The Greeks felt that restraints on sexuality were unnecessary. 
And Paul wanted them to stay holy and pure and away from sexual perversions. Also, the Greeks saw manual labor as beneath them and for the lowest classes. Paul reminds them that he and his ministers with him didn't take money from the Thessalonians, even though they could, but they labored with their own hands and so should the church. One reason for a seeming idleness or relying on others was the notion that the day of the Lord was at hand. Why work? Jesus was coming back soon. He attempted to, to set the record straight in his first letter, but it didn't seem to set in in the first letter. Now, I would like to set the record straight. He ain't coming back in this generation. Okay, get to work. First Thessalonians 4. Oh, a brotherly love and orderly life. You want to you read? But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. And indeed you do so toward all the brethren who are in all of Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more, that you also aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your business, and to work with your own hands as we commanded you, that you may walk properly towards those who are outside, and that you may lack nothing, a comfort of Christ's coming. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trump, trumpet of, our, of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. And five. But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. Wait a minute. Oh, uh, let's just stop right there, Leah. Um, I have a question. We just, last week, was it just last week? Yeah. Oh. We watched The Thief in the Night. We watched The Thief in the Night. And, um. But it literally can you just, says, can you just wait a minute? No, just wait, wait. Are you going to give this? Leah? Michelle. My entire life, I have heard men from the pulpit come and say, the Lord comes as a thief in the night. He will come as a thief in the night. And he will rapture us up with him as a thief in the night. It's inverted. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let's go back to this scripture. Let's read verse 2. One more time. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman. And they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness so that the day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love. And as a helmet of the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath. But to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together 
with him. And the final scripture? Therefore, comfort Circle each other. Circle that word comfort. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another just as you also are doing. Okay, so you're not going to... The, the thief is not... The thief of the, as, in a night is basically... He's talking about what was happening to the Jewish people. And it would... In an instant, basically, all of Jerusalem would be totally How and completely many? destroyed. But it's not going to come on you because you're not in darkness... And understand this. This is a, a little interesting thing. When Jerusalem was being attacked, the people would actually go into Jerusalem because it was a uh, fortress, basically. You could stay. They could have stayed in there um, under siege for years. They just killed each other inside. And started burning off and, and killing so and, and what getting rid of all their And so what he's referring to here is this isn't going to come on you as a thief. You're not the, You're not going to be in this destruction because you're, you, you don't walk in darkness. And here's the thing. You have to understand, Paul could see half... Paul didn't know everything that was going to happen. Like, he's not superhuman. He just has the essence of the prophetic that God has given him. Okay? He's not perfect. Paul is not perfect. Just to understand, like he wasn't seeing, when you read some of the prophecies in Jeremiah and then you see them fulfilled and then you see Jesus explaining some of the things, I, we read some today, I was like, that, I don't think most people would have seen Rachel weeping for mm. her children. That was divine. That was um, the the killing of the children with Herod. I wouldn't see that in there. But Jesus it said was that divinely inspired to those words. I the mean, words the were divinely inspired. The putting together of what happened with the children in Herod and that prophecy is a divinely inspired connection. What we don't have is more canon to explain this stuff to us. Right. Okay. So we have to go on what we know and what we've seen. Uh, now, Paul is comforting first century Christians. This is what we know. Let me, let me, he's not comforting y'all. He also gives deep impression uh, that what he is speaking of is going to come in that generation. He's very much saying this is this is happening. This is going to happen. But wherever you fall on the eschatological eschatology scale, one side you need to land on is this: God is has not appointed us to wrath, but to salvation. The tribulation and judgment are not for his believers. Now, it seems that when Timothy returns to Paul with an update, the Thessalonians were still worried about the day of the Lord with a very unhealthy obsession. Sound familiar? If only we could learn from these two letters. So he writes again with more detail, and here is where it gets good. So I am going to actually use... Um, I'm going to take from Ken Gentry's amazing detailed explanation of 2 Thessalonians, which is beyond compare, uh, except for a really great explanation by my favorite expositor, Bruce Gore. Now, um, I'm not going to play this, but you can, you guys can go and watch this, uh, Bruce Gore's explanation of it. How long is it, by the way? It's been a while since I watched that one. No, yeah, it's an hour. So you guys can go watch that. You'll love it. But many a times oh, attack. That, that's really great. And Leah did. Okay. All right, so brrr, you sat here for 53 minutes to get to who is the Antichrist. But we wanted to lay a foundation, why it's important. Who is the man of lawlessness? Why did Paul intend to te what did Paul intend to uh, teach his readers about him? What are the clues provided by Paul to help us locate this evil personage in history? The passage has been historically noted for its exceptional difficulty. 
The noted church father, Augustine, writes of a certain portion of this passage, I confess that I am entirely ignorant of what he means to say. New Testament Greek scholar Vincent omits interpreting the passage in his four volumes uh, in the commentary. He says, I attempt no interpretation of this passage as a whole, which I do not understand. Renowned Greek linguist Robertson despairs the task of interpreting this passage because it is of such ve it's vague form that we can hardly clear it up. Morris urges care in handling this notoriously difficult passage. Bruce notes that there are few New Testament passages that can boast such a variety of interpretations as this. There are even some dispensationalists who admit that it is an extremely puzzling passage of Scripture that has been a thorn in the flesh of many an expositor. As with the hotly debated Daniel 9, 24-27 passage, 70 weeks, so it is here, an exceedingly difficult prophecy. And it becomes a key text for dispensationalists. Note the following comments by dispensationalist theologians. Constable observes that this section of verses contains truths found nowhere in the Bible, else in the Bible. It is key to understanding future events, and it is central to this epistle. According to Wall Verd, uh, the man of lawlessness revealed here is the key to the whole program of the day of the Lord. Of 2 Thessalonians 2, Chafer notes, Though but one passage is found bearing upon the restraining work of the Holy Spirit, the scope of the issues involved in is such that in, involved in such as to command the utmost consideration. Uh, Rye and Feinberg employ Second Thessalonians two four as one of the few passages used to clinch the argument for rebuilding the temple. This is where they have to have a rebuilt temple, but the Bible doesn't speak of one. According to Acts 17 and 18, Paul left Thessalonica to go to Berea and Athens for brief visits. And thank you for not laughing every time I say that word. Th Thessalonica uh, is, is a difficult word. It's, it's more I don't have the problem with the Anica part. I have the problem with the thistle. Okay? And then on to Corinth where he writes to the Thessalonians epistles. He, write, he wrote the Thessalonian epistles. You've been saying it mostly right most of the time. Okay, whatever. The uh, place and circumstances of writing as discovered in Acts are helpful in casting some light on the dark and mysterious passage before us. So there was persecution from, from Thessalonians Jews. Thank you. During Paul's visit to Thessalonica, he preached to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah in Acts uh, 17, 1 through 3. Though some Jews believe, others were riled to mob action regarding the Christian message. They even dragged, quote, some of the brethren to the rulers of the city, complaining, those who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Jason and harbored them, and these are all acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying there is another king, Jesus. 17, 6-7. After taking security from Jason and the others, the civil rulers let them go, in verse 9. This allowed Paul to depart safely to Berea. The Jews were not so easily quieted, however, for... When the Jews of Thessalonica learned that the word of, the, of God was preached by Paul at Berea, they came there also and stirred up the crowd, 1713. This resulted in the immediate sending away of Paul to Athens. Paul stayed in Athens for only three or four weeks, soon traveling to Corinth, Acts uh, 18 tells us this, where he remained for 18 months, Acts 18:11. But again, serious Jews, Jewish antipathy arises. Interestingly, it was at Corinth where Paul met Aquila and Priscilla. Christians who had been uh, among the Jews banished from Rome by Claudius Caesar. That was in 18 verse 2. According to Syntonius, 
as the Jews were indulging in constant riots at the instigation of Crestus, Quadius, banished them from Rome. This reference to Crestus is undoubtedly a Latin variant for the name of Christ. Jews were kicked out because of the raucous that they were causing concerning Christians. Upon meeting these saints who suffered from Jewish riots against Christians in Rome, Paul set about preaching to the Jews in Corinth, as he had in Thessalonica, saying that Jesus is the Christ, chapter, that's Acts 18, 5. Again, the Jews violently resisted him, organizing resistance against him and blaspheming to such an extent that he determined to turn away from the Jews to the Gentiles at that point. 18.6. Matters were made worse for him by his remarkable success with a certain and prominent Jewish uh, leader, Crispus, quote, the ruler of the synagogue, 18.8. Though Paul seldom baptized, he did baptize Crispus, 1 Corinthians 1, 14-16, and Acts 18.8. Due to the intensity of the opposition, the Lord provided Paul a special <laughs> promise of safety to him to remain in Corinth. Very cool. Acts 18. All of this explains the strong language. That's in context. They be being mean. Stop it. They mean to me. They be trying to kick me out. They want to arrest me. Okay? So I'm writing, y'all. This explains the strong language against the Jews in Thessalonica in these epistles and helps uncover some of the more subtle concerns there as well. In his first letter, he wrote, For you, brethren, Became imitators of the became imitators of the churches of God, which are in Judea in Christ Jesus. For you also suffered the same things from your own countrymen, just as they did from the Jews who killed the Lord Jesus and their own prophets, and they persecuted us, and they don't please God, and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they may be saved, so as always to fill up the measure of their sins, so the wrath of God is going to come on them to the uttermost. First Thessalonians. That's two, intense. Y'all, where are my preacher men? Where are my preacher men saying that the wrath of God is going to come on people who are persecuting Christians? I got Christians telling me to be nice and be graceful and blah, blah, blah. Y'all coming at me. God's going to bring the wrath down on you, says Paul. Boom. And I, listen, oh, Leah, hey, you're doing the 8070 thing. Are you saying that, that this is going to happen now? I'm saying it, it was for then because it is a principle of God that when you persecute the people of God, when you persecute Christians, the wrath of God, you are storing up the wrath of God and at some point it's going to overflow and y'all getting mm. okay therefore comfort one another with these words she got that. Okay. seeing it is a good thing for God to repay those who trouble you see I'm on your side and God's on your side and Paul's on your side and most people on the pulpit they are not on your side so this, Leah, if, if you're telling me that all these prophets and Jesus came for this in 8070, then what do we have to look forward to? Him coming again and coming again and coming again and coming again. He is always coming. He never stops. He's here. He's building his kingdom. He is working with us. It's exciting. He wants to take out George Soros. He wants to stop the media censorship. He wants to stop your government from being tyrannical. Let's think about this and break this down because you just said something that was really fascinating to me. 
He's coming again and he's coming again and he's coming again and he's coming again. Okay? If you could imagine a destruction where, you know, it's like Groundhog Day, but for the bad guys. Where they have to relive his coming over and over and over and yeah. over again until they are all obliterated. Until all of heaven has invaded earth completely. That is what it is like. Their, their eternal torment, the kingdom of darkness's eternal torment, is to experience God's coming consistently. It's like a, it's like a siren that won't shut off. It just goes and goes like, and goes like and goes and goes and goes and goes with and goes a drip and goes in your forehead. Your All right, fingernails. Van Nicholas says, "Ye freaking ye." I think you mean that's really exciting. Um, love it. Absolutely love it. Okay, so we're putting this in, in perspective, understanding specifically that the Jews were causing a, the most trouble here. Mm -hmm. The Jews were causing the ruckus. The Jews were causing... Let me explain something to you. Rome didn't care if you were worshiping Jesus. Rome didn't care. It was just a little bit of... of uh, a little bitty sect of Jewishness. Okay, you got a Messiah, you worship him, whatever, do your thing, okay? Rome cared that the Jews were constantly going to Rome like, nanny, 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 would you get these Christians? Because they ain't following our religion, right? And nanny, nanny, we gonna, would you, because we can't like kill people right now, we're not supposed to, we kind of do, but we, you know, you've made it as a Roman thing that we can't kill people, because so could you, could you? maybe put these people in jail or something they're arresting paul how are they arresting paul how are they doing all these things they're 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 constantly going to the roman officials like would you take care of these christians for us please put get them in jail shut them off and they're like all y'all jews and christians go we're tired of it okay all right so he complained of a Satan-inspired thwarting of his ministry, which, which according to the context, probably indicates Jewish, Jewish opposition. All right, you remember that? And Satan um, withstood me, he says. Um, he probably alludes to Jewish opposition in 2 Thessalonians 1, 4, where he mentions their perseverance and inflict afflictions for their faith. This also may be motivating his request that the Thessalonians pray for his deliverance from such unreasonable and wicked men. Mm. Okay? Isn't this so cool when you put this in context? This Jewish context is important for grasping the situation Paul confronts. Furthermore, there are a number of allusions to the Olivet Discourse, which speaks of the destruction of temple and the judgment of the Jews for rejecting Jesus as a Messiah. So we're preaching in Thessalonica. Are you ready? We are ready. Go ahead. Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came from Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Then Paul, as his custom was, went into them. And for three Sabbaths reasoned with them three from weeks. the scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, saying, This Jesus, whom I preach to you, is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded, and a great multitude of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women, joined Paul and Silas. Do you want to keep going? talk about the leading women? And... Just go ahead. Okay, fine. All right, so, but the Jews who were not persecuted, becoming, persuaded. Pers thank you, per persuaded, becoming envious, took some of the evil men from the marketplace and gathered a mob, Leah says, sound familiar, and set all the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the temple. People. But, thank you. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brethren to the rulers of the city, crying out, these who have turned the world upside down have come here too. 
Leah says, if I had one goal in life, it would be to be one who turned the world upside down for the gospel. Jason has harbored them, and these are all acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying, there is another king, Jesus. Leah says, this is a side note. Mark this down as the Jews are putting Caesar up as above God. And they troubled the crowd and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. So when they had taken security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. Then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. When they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. These were far these were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. Leah says, proof in the Old Testament. Can you do this? Can you argue Christ through the law and the prophets? We did that today on our show. Therefore, many of them believed, and also not a few of the, of the Greeks, prominent women as well, but when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was preached by Paul at Berea, they came there also and stirred up the crowds. Then immediately the brethren sent Paul away to go to the sea, but both Silas and Timothy remained there. So those who conducted Paul brought him to Athens and receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come with him with all speed, they departed. So that gives you the context of the story that we're writing, that we're in... It's important to know that Where the background are. and what's really cool is that we have acts. We don't have to, we don't even have to go to extra biblical sources. All right. So back to second Thessalonians, uh, two, one through two concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him. We ask you brothers, do not become easily unsettled or alarmed by some prophecy report or letter supposed to have come from us saying that the Lord, the day the Lord has already come. Paul's reference concerning the coming of the Lord Jesus and our gathering together with him, 2 Thessalonians 2.1, is the crux interpretum of this passage. Paul is here speaking of the 80-70 judgment on the Jews, the very judgment given emphasis in the first portion of the Olivet Discourse, the book of Revelation, and several other passages of Scripture. Furthermore, the gathering together to him mentioned by Paul in 2 Thessalonians 2 ones picks up on the ref reference of our Lord in Matthew 24, 31. The word translated gather together here is episynagoge. And I know how to pronounce that because I've watched Bruce Corr several times say it. <laughs> episynagoge, which is found elsewhere only in Hebrews 10, 25, where significantly it speaks of a worshipful assembly. Episynagoge, the gathering together. The gathering together is actually not... A rapture. It's not a gathering together. It's actually a gathering together in one place. It's a religious assembly of Christians. Episynagogue means synagogue. Leah. He will synagogue us. He will put us together in a synagogue. We're meeting. We're meeting Just to worship together. It's an pause. assembly. Pause. Bring your. Put it in your head. Episynagogue. Episynagogue. Oh and you were getting on me for singing Episynagogue. earlier. Episynagogue. Episynagogue. No, but seriously. Y'all are watching this, whether you're watching it back or you're watching it live here with us tonight. If you are a Christian, we, you guys watching, are seated with us, with Christ, in an episynagogue. We are episynagogue. We are episynagogue. We are in so, episynagogue. We are a, an assembly of believers. Leah just can't... Episynagoge is actually the assembling of the believers. Can you just so when we're doing when we're episynagoge is is the actual assembling. Listen, here, the phenomenon 
of this very fact. We go on to church together. We episode and go gay. The phenomenon. You want to go gay? Of church us being united together in one place spiritually. Is, is one of the most mysterious, incredible, fantastical, miraculous things that ever happened to mankind. And if this only applies to some rapture 2,000 years later, then it is not spoken of anywhere in the scripture, the most miraculous, amazing thing that ever happened to the history of mankind. We are all gathered together in heavenly places, and it happens and is depicted in this scripture all right so it uh it's the uh cognate verb form in it the cognate verb form is found in matthew 24 31 where the gathering is tied to this generation matthew 24 34 and signifies the calling out of the elect into the body of christ with the trumpeting of the archetypal great jubilee second thessalonians 1 11 and 2 14. Matthew 24, 29, immediately after the tribulation in those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of heavens will be shaken. Then the sign of the son of man will appear in heaven and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the son of man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels and the great sound of the trumpet and they will episynagogue, episynago, not gay, episynago, uh, gather together his elect from the four winds and from one end of heaven to the other. So the KJV translates the Strong's G1996, the following manner, gather together. So to gather together besides, to bring together uh, others assembled. Two others already yeah. assembled. Here it functions in the same way with the coming destruction of Jerusalem and the temple. Christians would be thenceforth be gathered together in a separate and distinct assembly, the Episynagogue. The church is called a synagogue in James Two, two. After the temple's destruction, God would no longer tolerate going up to the temple to worship. It would be impossible, as Christians frequently did. Paul even did. Paul was working in the temple. He was going to the temple. He was preaching the temple. Um, frequently did prior to AD 70. One body, separate and completely. That's what, that is the gathering together. We will all be gathered together with him and we'll meet him in the clouds. Boom. It's not a rapture. This is what I've been meaning to get to, guys. The only way that we're connected is because of what's been depicted right here. He will gather us together. We will episynagogue. We are all together now. We're not going to the synagogue. We are the synagogue. Okay? One body separate and completely removed from the Jewish temple, wor uh, temple worship. God would make a demarcation, a new people, a new name. The Gentiles shall see your righteousness and all the kings your glory. You shall be called by a new name, which the mouth of the Lord shall name. Isaiah 62 Two. The day of Christ slash Lord here mentioned is the fulfillment of Joel. That was Isaiah 62 too, what you just read. Okay. Now, Joel 20, 31 through 32, which is brought to bear upon Jerusalem in Acts 2, 16. There, Peter identifies tongues as a covenantal sign of curse regarding the coming destruction with blood, fire, and smoke, Acts 2, 19 through 21 and 40. This explains why it was at Jerusalem and nowhere else that Christians sold their property and shared the proceeds, Acts 2, 44 through 45. It was soon to be destroyed, Matthew 24 and so Luke 23. So I'm actually going to kind of skip a little bit over this Acts 2 because I think we're going to cover it another time. But he said, Acts 2 is a fulfillment of Joel. And we'll do a whole episode on this. And he says, I will show wonders in the in heavens and signs. And, um, and Joel and your sons will prophesy and your young men will dream dreams. It's amazing. We, we're definitely going to go over that. It's definitely one of the 
big ones to go over for Revelation Red Pill. But let's go to Second Thessalonians um, 2 2. If you scroll down, I'm getting there. Whoa, there we go. Paul consoles them by denying the false report that, quote, the day of the Christ has come. You can just keep reading. Apparently, the very reason for this <laughs> epistle, so soon after the first one, a matter of weeks, is that some unscrupulous deceivers forged letters from Paul and falsely claimed charismatic insights of rele relevant to eschatological, eschatological uh, concerns. In his earlier letter, he had corrected their grief over loved ones who had died in the Lord as if this precluded their sharing in the resurrection. First <clears throat> Thessalonians 4. Now, new eschatological deceptions are troubling the young church. So uh, uh, some thought that the day of the Lord had come and consequently quit working. Due to the catastrophic upheaval associated with the looming divine judgment upon Israel, Paul suggests to the Corinthians that they forgo marriage for a while. But here the Thessalonians were being tempted to stop all unnecessary labor, thinking the time had come. The word trouble, Greek threno, is, threo. Threo, threo. is, threo, threo, is uh, in the present infinitive form, which signifies a continued state of agitation. It is the same word used elsewhere, only in the Olivet Discourse. There is, there it is even found in some, in the same sort of theological context, one warning of deception and trouble. It's like a continually troubling in your spirit regarding the coming of the day of the Lord. Take heed that no one deceives you for many will come in my name saying, I am he and will deceive you. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be troubled for such things must happen, but the end is not yet come. So the man of lawlessness, don't let anyone deceive you in any way for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed. The man doomed to destruction. He will oppose and exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshiped so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. Don't you remember that when I was with you, I used to tell you these things and now you know what is holding him back so that he may be revealed at the proper time for the secret power of lawlessness is already at work. But the one who now holds it back will continue to do so until he is taken out of the way. That is confusing. And at the end of the show, you will not be confused. Second Thessalonians two, three through seven. Paul is quite concerned with the deception being promoted. Let no one deceive you by any means. Verse three, he uses a strengthened form of the word, strengthened form of word deception, exapatis, with a double negative prohibition to avoid the deception and to clarify the true beginning of the day of the Lord. Paul informs them that the day will not come unless there is a falling away that comes first. And everybody knows that they talk about that, right? The man of lawlessness revealed, we're all looking for the Antichrist, right? At the son of perdition, 2 Thessalonians 2, 3. Before they could say that the day of the Lord has come, then there must uh, first be a falling away, the revelation of the man of lawlessness, who is also called the son of perdition. These do not have to occur in chronological order presented, as even dispensationalists admit. Verse 9 is clearly out of order and should occur in the midst of verse 8 if strict chronology were important. The falling away. The word falling away is the apostasia, apostasia, which occurs only here and in Acts 21.21 in the New Testament. Historically, the word may apply either to a political or to a religious revolt. But to which does it refer here? Does it refer to a future worldwide apostasy from the Christian faith? As per pessimistic eschatologies, a millennialist, William Hendricks, 
Hendrickson writes that this teaches that by and large, the visible church will forsake the true faith. Dispensationalist Constable comments this rebellion, which will take place within the professing church, will be a departure from the truth that God has revealed to his, uh, in his word. Or does the apostasia refer to a political rebellion of some sort? Yes, you're going to love this. There's a Jewish revolt in AD 67. The apostasia, the falling away. It's not the apostasia of the Christians falling away. It's a, it's a Jewish revolting against Rome. Ding, ding, ding. A good case may be made in support of the view that it speaks of the Jewish apostasy rebellion against Rome. Josephus literally speaks of the Jewish word as an apostasia. You can't put... Wait, 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 wait. You brought up my dude again. So, reminder for those of you that missed the earlier in the show. Josephus, historical writer, both um, secular and Christian and Jewish scholars all count this as fact fact historical fact and he uses that word apostasia to describe the jewish revolt yeah the falling away now what's interesting is paul could be and probably does merge these two concepts of religious and political apostasy apostasy here though emphasizing the outbreak of the jewish war which was the result of apostasy against god this may be inferred from 1 Thessalonians 2, 16, where Paul states the Jews of the Jews that they always fill up the measure of their sins, uh, religious apostasia against God, but wrath has come upon them to the uttermost as a result of the political apostasia against Rome. The uh, apostasia, am I saying that, apostasia uh, revolt, Paul mentions will lead to the military devastation of Israel. And the filling up of the measure of the sins of the fathers, Matthew 23, 32, leads to Israel's judgment, thereby vindicating the righteous slain in Israel, Matthew 23, 35, and Matthew 24, um, 2 through 34. The, apost the apostasia of the Jews against God by rejecting their Messiah led to God's providentially turning them over to judgment via their apostasia against Rome. The emphasis must be on the revolt against Rome in that it is in the future, future and dateable and whereas the revolt against God was ongoing and uncumulative, such as necessary to dispel the deception Paul was concerned with. In conjunction with his final apostasy and the consequent destruction of the Jerusalem, Christianity and Judaism were forever separated, and both are exposed to the wrath of Rome. There is another note here of the apostasy being the falling away of Christians, and I want to mention it not to bring up a confusion. I like a straightforward interpretation, yet either actually fits the narrative here. We see 1 John write to address those who had fallen away. 1 John 2.18. Little children, it is the last hour. What? It is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. <laughs> they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were with us. The book of okay. that's it. The book of Hebrews. It hey, it's the last hour. The last hour. Man, this is a really long time. It's, it's a so long last hour. It's so long timing that I don't even wear a watch anymore. I just have a phone. Yes, a long time. Yeah. Uh, the book of Hebrews was written primarily to warn Jewish Christians not to go back to the sacrificial system, for it is impossible. Go and read that. For those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gifts and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, if they fall away, 
to renew them again to repentance since yeah. they crucify again themselves the son of god and put him to an open shame yeah this uh, the book of revelations the seven letters to the seven churches each contains a warning against falling away um because they were falling away uh the mid uh 50s and 60s and i'm not talking 1950s and 60s i'm talking zero <laughs> Zero 50s and 60s. There were many falling away as a result of great persecution. Uh, identifying the man of lawlessness. The man of lawlessness, uh, this is, this is, I, I don't know why I didn't build this up greater. Here you is take the time. Punchline. Take time. You, they're not seeing that. I didn't, they're not, it's not screenshotting. Skip that, skip that sentence. No, Let's I, build it. No, I'm going to. I feel good about it. I can't skip it. Why not? The man, the man. I will get you who is Nero? Let's build the case. I, I I just gotta follow the blog. This is unbelievable. What an anticlimactic. No, you don't have to. Let's just. I have to follow this. You can skip that sentence. No, it all goes together. The man of lawlessness is Nero Caesar. Michelle's like, ah, we didn't build that up. Who also is the beast of Revelation, as a number of church fathers, fathers believed. The difficulty of this passage lies in the fact that Paul describes the man of sin with a certain reserve. Origen says, uh, for fear of incurring the, quote, charge of culminy for having spoken evil of the Roman Empire. Augustine, uh, City of God, 2019, that was Augustine. Thus, Paul becomes very obscure, as in the book of Revelations, on purpose, apparently hiding his prophecy regarding the coming evil of the judgment on the Roman emperor. He has to hide it. He has to hide it to let you guys know, to let them know what was about to happen, who was going to bring it up. It's like, and we've said this before, but we'll say it again for those of you that didn't hear it, and that's okay. Imagine we were writing out these blogs that we do instead of videoing to you guys it's the jab not you would say the jab we, we, we can't say the the yeah okay uh, yeah. i even can't say it even now i can't say it right so as we get into this and we're going to prove it to you we're going to leah is giving you the punchline first and then we will build the on proofs. youtube you couldn't say trump is your president and trump won the election you could not say these things you had to be incognito or they will they will kill you virtually Right, but this, they would have killed you in person. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, jo how far we've come. Yeah, we're going to get our lives back. Josephus did the same when speaking about Daniel's fourth kingdom, which applied to Rome, okay? Mom says, drum roll, not. <laughs> Thanks, Mom. Okay, so <laughs> no, let's, do, let's do this kind of cool. Okay, so Josephus actually applies this to Rome. Um and listen to Josephus. Read this about Jose how Josephus describes Daniel's fourth kingdom. Let me screen kingdom. share so they can see it too. Hang on one second. All right, here we are. Reading from Josephus down here. This one right here. The head of gold. The head of gold denotes thee and the kings of Babylon that have been before thee. But the two hands and arms signify this, that your government shall be dissolved by two kings. But another king that shall come from the west armed with brass shall destroy that government and another government shall be like unto iron, uh, shall put an end to the power of the former and shall have domination, dominion over all the earth on account of the nature of iron, which is stronger than that of gold, of silver, and of brass. 
Daniel did also declare the meaning of the stone to the king, but I do not think proper to relate it since I have only undertaken to describe things past or things present, but not things that are future. Yet if anyone be so very desirous of knowing truth as not to waive such a points of curiosity and cannot curb his inclination for understanding the uncertainties of futurity and whether they will happen or not, let him be diligent in reading the book of Daniel, which he will find among the sacred writings. He's, he's, he doesn't let you know what's happening because he's trying to be secret about it. Right. So Paul and his associates had already suffered at the hands of the Thessalonican Jews for acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another King Jesus. Acts 17, 7, wisdom demanded discreetness in his reference to the imperial authority. His uh, recent, 1 Thessalonians 2, 17, personal ministry among them allowed it. They were to remember that while with them, he told them these things. Like, remember when I was there and I was telling y'all, maybe you should get some horse <laughs> stuff and take it. Remember when we talked about I that? You should have taken Auburn, mm -hmm. Auburn everywhere, man. Auburn mm -hmm. every mare. Yeah. McKinton. Yeah. So uh, y'all just got to remember what we talked about because I can't write it here because I got to be mysterious in case somebody gets this letter. Exactly. So he's talking about Rome. Well, that's why he had to hide it. It's totally, if, if he's saying, remember these things I told you about, he's talking about Rome. Full stop. Okay. Uh, his personal instruction would allow them to know much more than we can from his discreet allusions in his letters. That's why it's hard to understand. He's purposefully obfuscating. Thank you. That's a really hard one. It is. It is. I, it, yeah. Uh, when Paul wrote this, Nero would have been around 13 years old. His mother would poison her uncle husband. So weird. Yeah, gross. But Agrippina wanted only power and nero will become caesar three years later eighty fifty four. he wouldn't immediately begin his persecution of the church or display his display his ghastly behavior like killing his wife and mother or finding a young teenage boy who looked like his dead wife who he had just killed and castrated him and dressed him up like his wife and had relations with him that's nero mm. the beast the beast. It is at least clear from Paul that something is presently, AD 52, restraining the man of lawlessness. You know what restraining is. It's a present participle that he may be re revealed in his own time. This strongly suggests, uh, and the word preterist just means something that's come to pass already. We're all preterists, meaning there are scriptures that are fulfilled and we believe that they have been fulfilled like many all these scriptures but yeah uh about jesus this strongly suggests the preterist understanding of the whole passage meaning the whole passage is over okay because he's this is some this is a person the man of lawlessness this antichrist person is being restrained at that moment in ad 52 okay you're restrained for a very long time that's what people think but no he's talking about something very very um present the Thessalonians themselves knew what was presently restraining the man of lawlessness. In fact, the man of lawlessness was alive and waiting to be revealed. It's much easier to believe that Paul had both a divine insight, but also a wisdom that was keen to see what was going on in the palace intrigue. Rather than a Tim LaHaye or John Hagee telling me who they think the beast is, I'm going to go with the apostles who told us 
uh, about said Antichrist and the beast. Tim LaHaye and John Hagee would be like, can you see? I see that Trump's son could be the beast. No, like legit, they could see that through all this palace intrigue, Agrippina is yeah, Agrippina and was he's not stupid. Paul knew what Jesus had said to the disciples in this generation, which mm -hmm. he knew was 40 years. And he's like, well, actually, I'm just putting the pieces together. Yeah. And and some wisdom and some spiritual insight. This is what I'm trying to say. Exactly. Okay. So Agrippina, she poisoned her first husband. This is his mother. Okay. Nero's mother. And he and she married her uncle. So gross. In a bid to make her son king. And at that time, Paul knew that. Mm -hmm. So this, so, so Agrippina um, was, she, she's the mother of Nero and they could, everybody could see, everybody knew she was trying to make Nero Caesar. Yeah. And Paul had some sort of special insight that that kid, he is not a good Some kid. Some not right with that one. You know what I'm saying? Y'all feel me? Okay, it's 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 wide. It was widespread gossip, but surely Paul and the other apostles were given special insight uh, uh, through Christ and Revelation. This implies that for the time being, Christians could expe expect some protection from the Roman government. The Roman laws regarding uh, religio licita uh, were currently in Christianity's favor at that time while considered a sect of Judaism and before the malevolent Nero ascended to the throne. Paul certainly was protected by the Roman judicial apparatus. Remember, Paul was going around and they protected him. He's like, listen, it's restrained for right now. Right. Okay. He could go places and be like, I'm a Roman citizen. They'd be like, oh, you are? Yeah. Who are you preaching? And he, he even went to Rome to talk mm -hmm. about Jesus. This was before the big persecution. And let me explain something to you. We all can feel that something is getting ready to happen another coming and we're warning you that something is going to happen here it come these apostles were with christ that christ was telling them what was going to happen specifically what was going to happen and paul having like been caught up to the third heaven he knew that things were going to happen and so he it would be beyond pale if you and if if Michelle and I, two girls in a basement in Milford, Ohio, are getting a word from God of what's going to happen, but Paul and and the and the and, and to all these people thinking that Paul and Peter and James and John are all writing about the day of the Lord as going to happen in the future, but they mention nothing about what's going to happen. Like Caesar's not going to rise up. He's Listen. not going to persecute Christians. The temples, like they don't, they're not going to write at all about the temple it being destroyed. It is wholly impossible. Like Amanda Grace is getting prophecies. Everybody's getting prophecies for what's happening right now. But these guys are not going to get prophecies and write each other about And them. Jesus wouldn't be telling them what was coming. Paul, Listen to me. Everything that we are reading. Everything that Jesus said was preparing these people for this time. At best, best, what the dispensationalists have, at best, what they have is it's going to happen again. And get this though, nowhere in scripture does it say it's going to happen again. And at worst for them, 
if they say it's going to happen again, why don't they talk about and preach what happened the first time as part of their it's going to happen again? They don't teach you that this happened the first time. They're part of their theory never tells you it happened once and it's going to happen again. We are proving to you, and for the past 17 weeks, we have proved to you that everything that Jesus was, prof- was, was prophesying and speaking to them, talking to them one-on-one, like I am talking to you, telling you the WEF is Satan and they are about to do stuff. Jesus was telling them all of these things. The, the apostles were, were writing, they were telling the church, all this stuff's about to happen. Oh my gosh, it's written in the New Testament. It's everywhere. They were preparing people. Jesus said, it's going to happen within this generation. It's the biggest, most incredible thing that's ever happened. All of this stuff, we're telling you. And anyone that wants to take these scriptures and apply them to the future, okay, fine. You can live in your fantasy world and I'm okay with you saying, you know what, what we're going to do is we're going to show you, yes, 100%, it happened in 8070. Here's the amazing, massive significance of it. And then we will allow people to decide for themselves whether they think and they can find scripture or proof anywhere else that it is going to happen a second time. And I can guarantee you, if they did that, no one would follow them to the, it's going to happen again in the future. Because there's no reference. Because there's to that. no reference, and people will be satisfied. <laughs> people are unsatisfied with these scriptures because they were never taught when they were actually fulfilled. And so they're always looking for the fulfillment. But if you show them where it was so perfectly fulfilled in the scriptures, they won't have that insatiable desire to see it fulfilled in some future date. And when things are really, really bad, it it's in your heart to think that Jesus is going to come and rescue you. And he, he will. Is. He will. So we can look and see how he did this then. And we can pull because God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And, and, and there's nothing new under the sun. Okay. All right. So let's get back to uh, the Roman laws saying that, you know, at that time you could be a Christian. It wasn't a big deal. Uh, Nero hadn't begun to persecute Christians yet. Paul certainly was protected by the Roman judicial apparatus and made important use of these laws. In AD 59, we, uh, we see in Acts 25 and 28 as protection from the uh, malignancy of the Jews. And he expressed no ill feel- feelings toward, against Rome when writing Romans 13 in AD 57 through 59, even during the early reign of Nero, the famous Quinquennium Neronis. All right, so when Paul wrote 2 Thessalonians 2, he was under the reign of Claudius Caesar, who had just banished Jews for persecuting Christians. It may be that he employs a wordplay on Claudius's name. The Latin word for restraint is Claudier, which is similar to Claudius. It is interesting that Paul shifts between the neuter and the masculine forms of the restrainer. The Claudier... Restrained the jab. Mm. Can you feel me? He, the restrainer, Claudia. Mm. You can't hold him back. Mm. Okay, come on, y'all. Are you picking up what I'm laying down? This may indicate he includes both the imperial law and the present emperor in his designation, restrainer, Claudia. While Claudius lived, Nero, the man of lawlessness, was without power to commit public lawlessness. Christianity was free from the imperial sword until the Neronic persecution began November, AD 64. So here we have Claudius Caesar, the restrainer, protecting Christians from the Jews. Very literally 
you we can see him as a restrainer mm -hmm. until Nero comes to power. And if you don't know the history of Nero, which we're going to show you guys tonight, mm -hmm. you would never go. Well, of course he would fit that. Right, right, right. So even early in Nero's reign, this his evil was hidden from the public eye by careful tutors. Until he broke free of their influence and was publicly revealed for what he was. His tutors tried to keep him under control, but he was a maniac. Maniac child. Yeah. Uh, Roman historians write of Nero. Go ahead. Although at first his acts of wantonness, lust, extravagance, avarice, and cruelty were gradual and secret. Yet even then their nature was such that no one doubted that they were defects of his character and not due to his time of life. Not just as being, no, this, like you just said. You, something wrong with that one. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Gradually, Nero's vices gained the upper hand. He no longer tried uh, to laugh them off or hide their, or deny them, but openly broke into more serious crime. After this, no considerations of selection or moderation restrained Nero from murdering anyone he pleased. He killed his own mama. He killed his own wife. This dude was cray cray. And if you think, if you think that Q can predict things in the future. Don't you think Paul can? Come on, man. Paul was better than Q, y'all. Dude. And so he's saying, he that restrains is going to restrain before the man of lawlessness. Nero had no law within him. It is so simple. It is so easy. It's right there. It's right there. It's right there. Okay. Um, other murderers were meant to follow, but the emperor's tutors, Sextus Afranus Burrus and Lucius Asanus Seneca, the Seneca who Nero would eventually have killed, prevented them. They co collaborated in controlling the emperor's perilous adolescence. Their uh, policy was to direct his deviations from virtue into licensed channels of indulgence. The man of lawlessness. Remarkably, the Jews were kept so in check by imperial law that they did not kill James the Just in Jerusalem until about AD 62, after the death of the Roman procurator Festus and before the arrival of Albius. That's in Albinus. Josephus. James, the brother of Jesus, saved from the Jews by the Roman authorities. That's not in the Bible, but it's extra biblical history. Proven fact. Okay, so you can read this. Festus was now dead. And Albinus was but upon the road. So he assembled the Sanhedrin of judges and brought before them the brother of Jesus, who was called Christ, whose name was James, and some others or some of his companions. And when he had formed an accusation against them as breakers of the law, he delivered them to be stoned. But as for those who seemed most equitable of the citizens and such as were the most uneasy at the breach of the laws, they disliked what was done. They also sent to the king Agrippa, desiring him to send to Ananus that he should act so actually so no more for that what he had already done was not to be justified nay some of them went also to meet albinus as he was upon his journey from okay, Alexandria and informed them that it was not lawful for annas to assemble the sanhedrin without his consent so josephus records that james the brother of jesus was killed very cool actually i mean it's not cool that he was killed but it's cool that it was recorded uh, with these events, the mystery of lawlessness was being uncovered as the revelation of the man of lawlessness, the transformation of the Roman imperial line into a persecuting power in the person of Nero was occurring. Revelation 17. But the angel said to me, why did you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her, which has the seven heads and ten horns. The beast that you saw was and is not and will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go to perdition. And those who dwell on the earth will marvel, whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. When they see the beast that was and is not and yet is, here is the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. There are also seven kings. 
five have fallen, one is, and the other has not yet come. And when he comes, he must continue a short time. And the beast that was and is not is himself also the eighth and is of the seven and is going to perdition. Okay, this... Gang, go get your friends. Right Who's now. on first? What's on second? You guys, Revelation 17 is one of the biggest proof texts that Revelation is over. We're living in... Finito. Come and sit with me at the banqueting table of our Lord. I love that song. And feast upon your enemies. Okay? Me too. Um, go get your friends. Put t Time mark. Time stamp this. Um... What time do we one start? One hour and 35 we start minutes. start at 8. We're so, at one hour and 35 minutes. Okay. Go get your friends. Timestamp this. This is so cool. Okay. So you're going to, you're going to, you're going to, you're going to shock your friends with Revelation 17. You're going to shock yourself. So cool. It's there. I feel shocked. It's all right there. So let's look at this picture. All right. And it also goes in. This is when you guys have been wondering about the 10 kingdoms, the 10, the 10 toes, the 10 toes, those 10 toes. What about them 10 toes and the clay feet? Tell me about them ten toes and the clay this feet. This little piggy went to market. Tell me about them ten toes. So, Leah, okay, we're about to break it down. Are you ready? You've been sitting here for an hour and a half for the final. It's the final breakdown. All right, here we go. This is, Let's follow this. This is a mystery, and he's writing a mystery. Here's the thing. If this was for the future, John is mean. Oh, come on. You know that's the truth. John, if these people are sitting there trying to figure this out, I want to know why Jesus and John's him so like, much. Why did behold, I come quickly so much. Behold, I come quickly. These things are soon to come to pass and everybody's waiting for him. And then like, psych, 2000 years later, everybody's like, five is falling. One is, who could that be? That we got Putin going to fall. Who is, wait, the 10 kingdoms we got. No, this is so easy. Watch this. Wait. Patriot Galler wants me to play the video of the Roman Eagle. Do you want me to do that later? Will it fit later? Is it in this vlog? No, I have it. She sent it to me, and I have in, it up. In a minute. I've... In a minute. We'll wait, Mom. We will play it, though. With the Roman the, yeah, the, on the, the thing? Yeah. All right, so here we go. Let's do this. We're going to sing a song. Julius Caesar, Augustus, Tiberius, Caligula, Claudius, Nero, Baba, Otto, Ventilius, Vespasian, Titus, Domitian. These are the ten Caesars. Okay. Five is That fallen. was painfully. Don't ever do that again. They did not come for that. My scene earlier, and you were looking at me like I had ten heads, and you it's go actually do that 12 to the here, people. but. You go and Who do cares? that to the people. It's actually 12 here. Um, and I, I can break down where the 10 comes from, but it, this is 12 here. I get um, the 10 starts somewhere else. Five is fallen. One is the other is yet to come and will only be around for a little while. Nero was emperor at the time of John's writing of Revelation. As we will see later, there is ample evidence that puts John on the Isle of Patmos during the reign of Nero, probably around 80, 64 to 68. So Paul's writing... Nero puts him in, Nero puts him in, um, this is so, so he, there's a guy, like, the United States governor or somebody puts you in jail, you're going to be right what's going to happen to them, what's happening to your people at the time, okay, you're not going to be thinking 2,000 years in the future, okay, Nero put him into prison, and he's writing, and he has to be very careful about what he's writing about in Revelation, okay, and he, Revelation, and, and, and if I get a chance to have date, uh, Jason on, he's got Revelation's date 
dating down. When well, when the book of Revelation is very important, a lot of dispensationalists put the writing of the book of Revelation after AD 70. Which, which is completely stupid because there's no they way. have to do it in order for this. Yeah. Because if it's before, then case closed, sealed, shut, There's done. no mention of the destruction of Jerusalem or the temple. If they're, if that's what, where they're doing it. Like, Come on. Didn't, no one, it just passed. Come on. Without any observance and it just never was a big deal. All right. He who is writing. Okay. Here we go. Here. All right. So here we go. Julius Augustus Tiberius Caligula Claudia six Nero Galba he was there for a short time six months as a side note after Nero is forced to commit suicide with help Rome descends into chaos and it appears Rome is falling failing they go through four emperors in one year before Vespasian is finally crowned emperor and tasks his son Titus with finishing the squashing of the Jewish rebellion in Jerusalem the evil mystery of lawlessness was already working though uh, restrained in Claudius's day. This is perhaps a reference to the evil conniving and plotting of Nero's mother Agrippina, who may have poisoned Claudius so that Nero could ascend to the purple. This is another indication for the preterist approach. The true nature of lawlessness was already at work in the imperial cultus and its range for worship, though it had not yet jealously broken out upon the Christian community. In addition, the cunning machinations to secure imperial authority for Nero. He was a perverse cross-dressing exhibitionist who had an incestuous relationship with his mother and married his stepsister. He murdered members of his own family in fits of jealous rage. His cruelty, violence and grotesque appetite for self-indulgence brought the Roman Empire to the brink of financial and political ruin. And he viciously persecuted the Christians. They would remember him as the ultimate embodiment of evil the Antichrist. Nero was born on the 15th of December 37 AD in Antium. His father Gnaeus was from an old Roman aristocratic family. He was a cruel, hard-drinking man who once ran over a child in his chariot for pleasure. Gnaeus died when Nero was three years old. For the first 20 years of his life, Nero would be dominated by his mother, Agrippina. She was a sister of the Emperor Caligula. She was ambitious, amoral, and a born survivor. Nero's mother was a very strong-minded woman. The Roman sources like to say that she behaved like a man, by which they mean that she understood politics and tried to wield political power. She was absolutely determined that her son was going to become emperor and she didn't care how many people she had to walk over in order to achieve it. When the emperor Claudius was widowed, Agrippina embarked on a campaign of seduction. Within a short time, she had married him and began to work relentlessly on the advancement of her son. When Nero was 13, she persuaded Claudius to adopt him and when he was 16, she engineered his marriage to the emperor's daughter, Octavia, Nero's stepsister. While Nero's fortunes rose, the position of Claudius's natural son, Britannicus, was becoming increasingly difficult. Nero was four years older, which meant he took official precedence over his stepbrother. As Nero took on more and more duties, Britannicus was sidelined. In 54 AD, Agrippina decided the time was right to make a bid to put Nero into power. 
According to the Roman historian Tacitus, only one obstacle remained, the aging Emperor Claudius. Agrippina had long decided on murder. Now she saw her opportunity. Her agents were ready. The poison was administered by the eunuch Halotus. It was sprinkled on a particularly succulent mushroom. Claudius's weakness for cooked mushrooms brought about his death on the 11th of October, 54 AD. The next day, the Praetorian Guard declared Nero emperor. At the age of 17, he had become ruler of the biggest empire the world had ever seen. But while the Romans celebrated their new boy emperor in the streets, Nero was already showing a disturbing tendency towards violence. The year was a time of peace abroad, but disgusting excess by Nero in Rome. Disguised as a slave, he ranged the streets, brothels and taverns with his friends who pilfered goods from shops and assaulted wayfarers. When it became known that the waylayer was the emperor, attacks on distinguished men and women multiplied. For since disorderliness was tolerated, pseudo-Neros mobilized gangs and behaved similarly with impunity. Rome by night came to resemble a conquered city. Nero's growing appetite for violence would soon find a target closer to home. Nero was insecure because he knew that Britannicus was actually the natural son of the previous emperor and that he had been adopted and some people thought that Claudius had been manipulated into adopting him. Nero decided to murder his rival, but according to his first century biographer Suetonius, he needed a method that would not arouse suspicion. To achieve this, he would need help. Against Britannicus, he employed poison, no less because of the competition he posed in singing. He had a much pleasanter voice than through fear that one day he would prevail in public favor. He obtained it from a certain Lacusta, who was an expert poisoner. He gave orders that the substance be brought to the dining room and given to Britannicus. When Britannicus collapsed, Nero rewarded Lacusta with immunity from prosecution and an ample estate. He even sent her pupils. With Britannicus out of the way, Nero and his mother reigned with impunity. They passed laws and appeared on Roman currency together, with Agrippina acting as the young emperor's self-styled regent. She was determined to maintain absolute control of her son, and according to Tacitus, she was prepared to go to any length to do it. According to one author, Cluvius Rufus, Agrippina's passion to retain power carried her so far that at midday, the time when food and drink were beginning to raise Nero's temperature, she several times appeared before her inebriated son, all decked out and ready for incest. Their companions observed sensual kisses and evilly suggestive caresses. She seduced her own son. His mother had been the architect his rise and she wanted him to remember it all the time and initially of course he was prepared to be grateful but he got tired of it and decided that the only cure was to get rid of her as Nero's thoughts turned from devotion to murder he hatched a bizarre plan he ordered the construction of a booby-trapped boat designed to fall apart when under sail 
When the boat was completed, he invited Agrippina to join him at the resort town of Baiae for a festival. After a pleasant evening together, Nero kissed his mother farewell and left by land, while Agrippina left by sea. Midway across the bay, concealed lead weights crashed through the boat's roof and it began to sink. But the injured Agrippina managed to swim to safety. When Nero heard his mother had survived, he was terrified of what she might do and immediately dispatched assassins to her villa. The murderers closed round Agrippina. First, the captain hit her on the head with a truncheon. Then, as the lieutenant was drawing his sword, she cried out, strike here, pointing to her womb. Nero's rise to power had cost the lives of his mother, his stepbrother, and his adoptive father. Now, with absolute control of the empire, Nero would indulge his appetites for cruelty and self-indulgence to the full. Yeah, so, not a good guy. There's more to that. We're going to get to more. Nero. I think we have more. I think we have more later. All right, so, <clears throat> the Roman emperor, according to Paul, exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped. 2 Thessalonians 2.4 a warning of the evil potential of emperor worship was publicly exhibited just a few years before when the emperor Caligula Gaius attempted to put his image in the temple in Jerusalem. Josephus uh, says that. You can read the back and forth, uh, I have a click on here, concerning the ambassage of the Jews to Caius and how Caius sent Petronius into Syria to make war against the Jews unless they would receive his statue. The Jews begging and pleading not to have a blasphemous statue of Claudius erected, but to kill them first. They 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 wanted there was a they wanted to put a statue of Claudius in the temple. The phrase "so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God" is interesting. When "hoste" so that is followed by an infinitive, "kathesia" to sit. Is it indicates a purpose intended, not necessarily a purpose accomplished. It was Caligula's intention to sit in the temple of God in Jerusalem. It was the emperor's desire to show himself that he is God. In fact, Philo tells us that so great was the caprice of Caligula in his conduct toward all, and especially towards the nation of the Jews, is that, quote, the latter he so bitterly hated and he appropriated to himself their places of worship in other cities and beginning with Alexandria, he filled them with images and statues of himself. So you can go ahead and play um, the next one. If you know anything about Roman history, you've probably heard of Emperor Nero, who's associated with some pretty heavy stuff like extravagance, tyranny, murder, murder, murder. He murdered a lot of people. His reputation for death and destruction was so bad that in the early centuries, many believed he was the actual antichrist. But the real story is... So wait a minute. She just said that it's then historically people in in the first century believed he must be the antichrist. Well, in the, the first video we watched, they called him the antichrist. Exactly. Come on, play lady. 
is a little more complicated. Nero was born in 37 AD in Antium, Italy and became emperor at just age 17. Nero's legacy is marked by extreme contradiction. On the one hand, Nero used his position of power to enact some progressive changes in Rome, like ending private trials, banning capital punishment, and giving slaves the right to sue their unjust owners. But on the other hand, he developed a reputation for unbridled depravity that is really hard to reconcile. He supposedly went about seducing married women and young boys and murdering people at random. It's also believed that he poisoned his stepbrother Britannicus because he was jealous of his singing voice and status. So how do we understand this back and forth? Well, most of the sources we have on Nero come from historians who weren't first-hand witnesses and didn't share his politics. So they would have reason to paint him in a bad light but that doesn't make him innocent. Many of Nero's contemporaries were extremely violent, murdering family members and friends to maintain political power. But Nero went beyond the norm, like when he ordered a Roman soldier to kill his own mother in 59 AD, claiming she was guilty of treason and her death was a matter of public safety. The public did not buy that excuse. After that, bad things started happening in Rome. Unlucky birds settled in the capital, earthquakes destroyed homes, and violent mobs erupted in the streets, which many people interpreted as omens. Nero's behavior was putting out some real bad juvies. And then there was the actual hellfire. In July of 64 AD, the Great Fire of Rome began. It lasted six days and destroyed almost the entire city. And while many blamed Nero for starting the fire and not doing enough to help the people, other accounts say he provided food and shelter to victims and even joined the search and rescue parties. But then Nero went and blamed the fire on the Christians without any evidence and ordered them to be thrown to the dogs, burned, and crucified, starting the trend of Christian persecution in Rome. He did rebuild Rome after the fire, but this also meant building a golden palace complete with a 100-foot-tall bronze statue of himself. Eventually, everyone had enough of Nero's antics, and in 68 AD, the Senate declared him public enemy number one, turning the army against him. Nero fled and committed suicide by stabbing himself in the throat, but not before he proclaimed, what an artist dies in me. So yeah, Nero is surely not a great guy, but he probably also wasn't the Antichrist. I mean, his story reminds us that history is never so clear. Really? It's easy probably to write off. Wasn't probably wasn't the Antichrist. Probably was. Probably was. All right. This was, for all intents and purposes, accomplished uh, by the future Emperor Titus. I'm going to scroll back here. Talking about um, Alexander, he filled the images with his statues of himself. This was uh, actually fulfilled uh, in the future Emperor Titus, who concluded the devastation of Jerusalem set about in motion by Nero. Titus actually invaded the temple in AD 70. And I don't know if you want to bring up a video. You might have to um, go find a video of the uh, Roman ensigns with the eagles. I have it. Okay. I have it. Let me grab it here. So now, and now the Romans brought their ensigns to the temple and set them over against the Eastern gate and where they did... Uh, they offer sacrifices to them, and there they did make Titus in uh, imperator with the greatest acclamations of joy. That's for Josephus. Go ahead. You can play it. Play the volume. So there it is. And they would carry that around everywhere.
So we've got this eagle, Leah. Mm -hmm. So we see very clearly that this was an important part um, mm -hmm. at the time. The way that we would all understand any kind of imagery of today that maybe someone in the past or the future it's like might a Nazi not get symbol. It. If you see the swastika coming, okay, yeah. like seriously, exactly. But it's just because we've we have not been taught this history that it doesn't mean anything to us. Yeah. So uh, here we have. Um, let's say, and now the Romans brought their ensigns to the temple and they set them over against the eastern gate. And there did they offer sacrifices to them, and there did they make Titus imperator, with the greatest acclamations of joy. That's from Josephus. By September AD 70, the very temple of which Paul spoke in 2 Thessalonians 2.4 was forever gone. This fact also supports the, the preterist or the fulfilled understanding of the passage. In fact, it parallels Matthew 24.15 and functions as Paul's abominations of desolation, which occur in this generation. Um, the last part of what we're going to go over is now this six, six, six part. Mm -hmm. You don't have that one. I don't, you do. It's right there. You were skipping over it. Yeah. I rem I, I, I can't remember if it was YouTube that flagged us on this or Facebook when we played it before. I think it was YouTube. Okay. So I think we probably are okay to play it on Facebook. Okay. I've come to the Biblioteca Casa. Okay, okay. But actually... Honestly, before I set up the 666, I wonder if you want to go back to the video that we played and play the second part um, to understand a little bit more how crazy Nero yeah, like was. Yeah, parts two and three. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Let's go here. Um, let's see. Does it part two play after the second one? I don't. They used to do that. Here? Right here. It's got to be right here. Two of three. Uh-huh. Okay. When he was singing. All right. We'll go back and watch this. Because this is important. It'll make a little more sense on the 666. It was not permitted to leave the theatre, even for the most pressing of reasons. Thus it is alleged that women gave birth during his shows, and many who were tired of listening and applauding when the entrance gates were closed, either jumped furtively off the wall, or else pretended to be dead and were carried out for burial. Nero's thin, husky voice would be heard on the stages of Naples, Greece, and Rome. But whatever the audience felt about his performances, his compositions were always met with applause. He had some young men who were called equites, and these followed him around and applauded him. And then one day he was told that in Alexandria there was a tradition of actually training people to clap. And he thought it was a wonderful idea, so he had his clack trained to do this. But apparently he was so pleased with the effect that he couldn't pass it up. While Nero's performances exposed him to public ridicule, his private behavior was becoming increasingly salacious. He prostituted his own body to such a degree that when virtually every part of his body had been employed in filthy lusts, he devised a new and unprecedented practice as a kind of game in which disguised in the pelt of a wild animal he would rush out of a den and attack the private parts of men and women who had been attached to stakes. It was becoming clear that Nero's appetite for self-indulgence was out of control. The emperor was turning into a monster. As a ruler, the most serious thing he does is to 
uh, exploit the empire and to take its resources for his own purposes, uh, and by doing so, to actually endanger the safety and security of his subjects. In 60 AD, on the edge of the empire, in a place called Britain, Roman tax collectors brutally robbed the queen of a local tribe. She was flogged, and her daughters were raped. It was a big mistake. Queen Bodicea incited her people, the Iceni, to revolt. In a lightning campaign across southern Britain, they destroyed Colchester, London, and St. Albans, killing the Roman inhabitants. In Rome, Nero panicked and made plans to evacuate the island forever. But his generals were prepared to stand firm and fight for the Roman Empire. The first great battle of Britain took place at an unknown location in central England. The 10,000 legionnaires of General Paulinus made a desperate stand against an enemy that outnumbered them more than 20 to 1. Against all odds, the legionnaires carried the day. Bodicea poisoned herself. Nero's empire was safe for now. In Rome, Nero's behavior was becoming even more cruel and more eccentric. In AD 62, he had his first wife, Octavia, murdered so he could marry his mistress, Poppea. Nero would later kick the pregnant Poppea to death when she scolded him for coming home late after a chariot race. It was a murderous act that Nero deeply regretted. In a fit of remorse, he took a boy called Sporus who reminded him of Poppea. The boy was castrated, dressed, and made up to look like the dead empress, and married to Nero in an extravagant ceremony. In AD 64, a great fire ravaged the center of Rome for six days. It was the biggest urban fire the ancient world had seen and would not be equaled in its destruction until the fires of Dresden in the Second World War. Nero was away from Rome at the time. It's unlikely that he fiddled while his city burned, but many believed the emperor had started the fire. Nobody dared fight the flames. Attempts to do so were prevented by menacing gangs. Torches too were openly thrown in by men crying that they acted on orders. The great Roman fire left hundreds of thousands destitute and the Roman economy in such a crisis that the currency had to be devalued. One man alone seemed to benefit from the carnage. The fact was a lot of land became available because a lot of houses were burned down and the emperor took advantage of this in order to build this palace. And he started building it in various quarters of the city simultaneously. So the impression that he was taking over the city uh, and also the sufferings of the individuals who lost their property uh, created a very bad impression. Nero cleared an area the size of London's Hyde Park in the center of Rome. Here he built a new sprawling palace complex called the Golden House after the plates of gold which were said to cover its ceilings and walls. It contained an enormous lake and expansive grounds which were populated with all manner of exotic animals. The banqueting halls had coffered ceilings fitted with panels of ivory. 
which would revolve, scattering flowers and pipes, which would spray perfume on those beneath. No the principal way. banqueting chamber had a dome, which revolved continuously both day and night, -uh. like the world itself. When no the house was way. brought to completion in this style, and he dedicated it, he said nothing more to indicate his approval than to declare he had at last begun to live like a human being. It is, as it were, Nero's great statement in the city of Rome, and remember that in front of it, at this gate, is this enormous, colossal statue of the sun, but with the features of the emperor. The purpose of the Golden Palace? To lord and praise the name of the great man. It becomes uh, yet one further reason to condemn him after his fall. You can do play three. Go ahead. Is this it? In Rome, the word on the streets was that Nero had ordered the fire so he could build his enormous palace. It was a rumor that would not go away. To regain the trust of his people, the emperor needed a scapegoat. He hit on the idea that anybody would believe anything of the Christians, uh, and also that there was a marvelous way of getting them to confess because everybody knew that if you were a Christian, you wouldn't deny your Christianity. So if you announced that the Christians started the fire, anyone who confessed to their Christianity was assumed to have confessed to arson. It's clear that Nero treated the Christians with particular cruelty and barbarity. Tacitus tells us that he had them rounded up, he had them dressed in animal skins and attacked by dogs, he had some crucified, and he also had many burned. In the evening, he lined up his garden with Christians as human torches. Nero's attack on the Christians would be the first persecution of Christianity under the Roman Empire. It's believed both the disciple Peter and the apostle Paul were tortured and killed during Nero's reign. In the Bible's book of Revelations, John describes the end of the world and warns of a beast with two horns. Was it Nero that he had in mind? Here is wisdom. Let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is six hundred, threescore and six. In languages such as Greek and Hebrew, there was no separate set of numbers. Numbers were represented by the letters of the alphabet. When the name Nero Caesar is transliterated from the Greek, Neron Kaiser, into the Hebrew, that is to say, when the Greek characters of the name are replaced by Hebrew characters, then the numerical value of the name in Hebrew comes to 666. So as far as the church is concerned, there's no goodness in Nero. He is an antichrist figure. He is an embodiment of evil. In a bid to remove any potential rivals, Nero had systematically murdered every member of his family. When finally a major plot was hatched against him in 65 AD, it was masterminded by his friend, the senator Piso. The conspirators included senators, officers of the imperial guard, and even Nero's tutor and mentor, Seneca. The fatal blow was to be struck while Nero attended the Circus Maximus, Rome's vast chariot arena, during the Feast of Ceres. But the conspiracy was betrayed by a slave, 
one after the other, the conspirators were rounded up and put to death by Nero's execution squads. Piso was lucky. He was allowed to commit suicide by cutting his wrists. After his narrow escape, Nero began to see enemies everywhere. Each year, he murdered more and more senators, aristocrats and army officers. The final death toll would never be known. He comes to distrust those who are very competent. And on the other hand, he's afraid of them because he knows that they don't respect him. By the end of the reign, he's actually putting them to death. One of the reasons for the big rebellions, I think, is that all those people in charge of legions think that their days are numbered. 68 AD would be known as the year of the Great Rebellions. In March, Governor Vindex raised an army of 100,000. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, the Great Rebellions. ...against the emperor in Gaul. They were butchered by Nero's legions. But at the same time, a more serious rebellion was brewing in northern Spain, headed by the governor Galba. In Rome, Galba's agents took control of Nero's palace guard. When they refused to take his orders, Nero knew his days as emperor were over. Nero was completely paralyzed. He was terrified that the armies had turned against him. He didn't trust anybody, and in the end, he decided to flee Rome and give it up. But it was this terror inspired by the awareness that he had made so many enemies. Nero fled some miles outside the city to the countryside villa of one of his ex-slaves. He made plans to adopt a new identity as a traveling musician. But Galba's agents had convinced the Senate to declare him a public enemy and issue orders for his arrest and execution. Realizing there was no escape, Nero snatched up two daggers, which he had brought with him, and tried the blade of each. At that moment, some horsemen drew near under orders to bring him back living. Aware of this, he hesitantly said, the thunder of swift-footed horses echoes round my ears. He then drove the dagger into his throat with the help of his secretary, Epaphroditus. Nero was dead, but for the Roman people, the nightmare would continue. In the year following his death, the empire would be ravaged by civil war. It would be called the Year of the Four Emperors. Wars and First, wars. Galba, murdered after seven months in office. Then the Emperor Otto, driven to commit suicide three months later. Followed by Vitellius, whose short reign would end when he was tortured to death by the new Emperor Vespasian. Later emperors would try to eradicate the memory of Nero. They carved their own faces onto Nero's old statues and tore down his golden house, building baths over the ruins. But the legend of Nero would not die. For years after his death, there were wild rumors that Nero had somehow survived. The provinces were alive with sightings of men claiming to be the Roman emperor who played the lyre. An enormous arena was built obliterating the great lake that once reflected Nero's palace. The arena was called the Amphitheater of Titus. 
but everyone calls it the Colosseum because once a colossal statue of Nero stood there and no one could forget the sun god emperor Nero. Okay, so if that doesn't convince you that he was a beast, um, I think in our in our uh, discussion on Matthew twenty, no, when we talk about when when uh, AD, when Revelation was written, we'll discuss a little bit more about writings, the sightings, and the people that called him the beast. Yeah. They called Nero the Beast. I want to see in the comments what you guys think about all of this now that we have laid it out, now that you have seen the footage, and we we can have a nail in the coffin. Which one? This this, this yeah, but they, they they didn't mention it in here. I know, but this you really want to do shows it again? It. All right, oh so we're gonna gosh. go ahead and play the, the Morgan Freeman one. There is no skipping this. Okay, okay, so um, this is absolutely amazing. I don't know if you caught this. Uh, but I really want to emphasize Nero 666 and 616 in Latin. Not only so, but in Nero, the imperial line eventually... Uh, oh, go, go ahead. I want to go and just play that. Play, there's two, there's two here, I think. I've come to the Bibliotheca Casanatense near the Vatican to meet an expert in early Christianity, Kim Haynes Eitzen. She tells me she has compelling evidence that reveals the identity of the beast. Good morning. So, what exactly do we have here? Well, I've been looking at some fragments of the Book of Revelation. The Book of Revelation. That's right. The Book of the End of Days. The End of Days, the Apocalypse. It's a prophetic book. It's got loads of symbolism, but it's also very much a political book and making a political claim about the cause of evil. The cause of evil. Or who's responsible for evil. So tell me about this coding, because as I understand it, the Antichrist was given a, a code, so they would never call his name. They would just say it by code. Well. There has been a lot of debate about what this number, in particular 666, who it refers to. There has also been a strong argument made for 666 referring to Nero. Nero was emperor of Rome from 54 to 68 AD, around the time when the first Christians began to arrive in Rome. So how do you make 666 translate to Nero. When you apply numerical values to the name Kaiser Neron and you add up those numbers, you come to 666. In ancient Greek and Hebrew, every letter had a corresponding number. We don't have that. If you so add up the letters of the name for Emperor Nero written in Hebrew, Kaiser Neron, the total comes to 666. But Nero is just one of many names that can add up to 666. Kim believes a later copy of the Book of Revelation, found in an archaeological dig in Egypt, confirms the beast is Nero. One of the interesting things about these fragments is that we've got two different numbers. What are those letters? 
If chi is a 600, uh -huh. xi 60, sigma a 6, 666. This one over here, we have a chi iota sigma 616 with a line over the top. Why is it so different? You might think that this number destroys the possibility that it could be Nero. Yes. What's striking about this is that it may help to confirm the identity of Nero because this would be the number that we would get if we spelled Nero according to the Latin spelling, Nero Kaiser. Okay. Without the N, the letter N represented 50, the number 50. So 666 minus 50, 616. So we've just So we just gone. subtract, and we're going to come up with 616, and we have the same guy. That's right. <laughs> I love how he's laughing there. All right, so, and then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. Uh, the coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders. As just indicated, the lawless ones was eventually the lawless one was eventually openly revealed. And the mystery form of his character gave way to a revelation of his lawlessness in Nero's wicked acts. This occurred after the restrainer Claudius, who maintained uh, religio licitia, was taken out of the way, allowing Nero the public stage upon which to do his um, his horrendous lawlessness. According to Hendrickson, verse 8 destroys any preterist interpretation identifying the man of lawlessness with the Roman emperor because it ties the events of, to the era of the second com advent. The strong preterist indications in the passage hitherto-for, however, demand a different understanding of the destructive coming of Christ here mentioned. As already shown in the discussion of verse 1, Matthew 24, 30 is most relevant here. Go ahead. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And that verse is specifically applied to the first century, Matthew 24, 34, as is Revelation 1, 7, and uh, Matthew 26, 63 through 65, and Mark 9, 1. Christ comes in judgment upon Jerusalem in the events of AD 67 through 70. And did you want to watch the second one? Um, yeah. But why might early Christians have called Nero the Antichrist? Kim brings me to the very heart of the Vatican, St. Peter's Square, to show me the answer. So we know that the code 666 refers to the Emperor Nero. Why? Emperor Nero was despised for many things, including persecuting Christians. Now in the square here, you can see an obelisk yeah. that he arranged to stand at the turning point in his circus. Circus Maximus. Uh, the Circus Neronius. Neronius. Yeah. The circus stood here and was a place for chariot races, games, but he also used it then for persecuting Christians. So in 64, there was a major fire in Rome and much of the city was destroyed. Yeah. Nero wound up blaming Christians and he executed them in great numbers, as far as we can tell, right here in this circus. Tradition says Nero even executed the man many considered to be the founder of the church in Rome, Peter. 
The story about Peter was that he was crucified upside down. Some of them were lit on fire. Burning to light the place. It explains why they despised him so much. So now we have the Basilica of St. Peter standing here commemorating his death. So the irony of that, this is where Peter founded the church. Yeah, it's pretty dramatic. The crucifix on which Peter died could have been just yards from where I stand now. Obviously, the Christians hated Nero. He was the Antichrist. Even after his suicide, they feared that he had the power to come back and rule, which was why it was safer to refer to him in a secret code. Hmm. Come on, man. <laughs> in that judgment coming in Jerusalem, there is also judgment for the man of lawlessness, Nero. There is hope and comfort in the promised relief from the opposition of the Jews and Nero. He's going to be gone, guys. Not only was Jerusalem destroyed within 20 years, but Nero himself died a violent death we just heard about in the midst of the Jewish war in AD 68. His death then would occur in the day of the Lord in conjunction with the judgment coming of Christ. He would be destroyed by the breath of Christ, much like Assyria was destroyed by the coming of the breath of the Lord in the Old Testament, Isaiah 30, 27 through 31. Um, and like Israel was quest, crushed by Babylon in Micah 1, 3 through 5. In fact, by God's providence, Nero's death stopped the Jewish war um, briefly so that Christians trapped in Jerusalem could escape. When you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies and flee, they were actually um, there. Rome was actually going to um, squash the Jewish rebellion. But because of all these other wars, they immediately stopped and left that and then came back in AD 70, giving the Christians time to leave. The man of lawlessness, the beast, Nero Caesar, dies in the day of the Lord with the great harlot, Jerusalem. And we'll talk about that. The harlot is Jerusalem. And why is the harlot Jerusalem? I'll give you a little key here. She rides upon the seven mountains and Rome was the seven mountains. And another clue for you was remember when it says we have no king but Caesar? Jerusalem, um, actually Rome picked uh, the high priest, uh, the, the, the leaders, the, the Jewish leaders were in bed with and harloting themselves with Rome, with the Roman government. And that was the great harlot. And that was, that was like the, the last final straw for God. You have turned your back. When the Messiah comes, you said, we have no king but Caesar. That's the greatest harlotry that the bride could do. Conclusion, the man of lawlessness passage is to be predatorily as fulfilled, understood for several reasons. So the obvious parallels with Matthew 24 and Revelation 13 tie it with the era of accomplishment. Five are here. One is this, one is that. You get to Nero. Okay, I can go back and read it. The late 80s, 60s up to 80s, 70s. Uh, the reference to the temple still standing in Revelation 2, 4. The president... Um, and, and Second Thessalonians 2.4. The present restraining of the man of lawlessness. That's a, kind of something really important there. Uh, he talks about, um, let's see, let's read that. Essentially, Paul is saying, right now, while I'm alive, he's being restrained. Yeah, I just like, want but, but how do we apply that? Is that for 2,000 years? Yeah. Does that statement, literally, Leah, mean 
that he's being restrained for 2,000 years. No. Okay, so and here's here's 2-4. That's what the dispensationalists would have us believe. Yeah, 2-4, not 2-4. Here, 2-4. He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God and is worshipped so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. And we read that the Jews, or we read that Rome was setting their insignias and signs up in the temple. And this is where the dispensationalists need a rebuilt temple for this prophecy to be fulfilled. But you don't see that in this text. You don't see it anywhere in the Bible uh, to say that this would be, this is talking about God's temple. And why temple. is Paul writing to these people about something that's not going to happen for 2,000 years? Paul, if, if this is a letter, it's not like he's writing. He didn't know, oh, I'm writing this scripture for people that are going to read this. What, he I, wasn't writing you guys. No, he wasn't writing you guys. But here's what's really, us. here's what's really important about this verse. He says he would set himself up in God's temple. The fact that Paul wouldn't have seen a rebuilt temple and he wouldn't have said, the temple that's destroyed and then in the future, future that's rebuilt. rebuilt. Oops, Paul missed that one. Because in Daniel, God says, seal these things up for it's in the future and it was 500 years. But here's the thing, guys. But in Revelation, it says, don't seal these things up. Tell everybody for the time is at hand. But Leah, let's settle this again once and for all. Who is God's temple right now? We are. Will there ever be another temple that will be God's temple that's made by hands that is no, in a building? No, and that's really interesting that you called out the word God's temple. It says God's temple. It yeah. doesn't say the temple. It yeah. says God's temple. Yeah, yeah. God destroyed that temple. We are you and temple. I are the temple. He so has no more temple. Is this man of lawlessness going to, to uh, build himself up inside of Christians? That's the only way they could interpret that. That's not what they mean. Um, this is, that is a proof text for you. You put it in your pocket and you just keep getting it out. Yep. Okay. Um, the present restraining, he says he is now restrained. The present restraining of the man of lawlessness, talking about a, per, a, a person, uh, the chem contemporary operation of the man of lawlessness in the mystery of Paul's day. So we're going to go back to here. Um, don't you remember that when I was with you, I used to tell you these things and now you know what is holding him back so that he may be revealed at the proper time. Now, you know, I'm telling you what's holding him back. He may be revealed at the proper time for the secret power of lawlessness is already at work, is already at work. Okay. But the one who now holds it back will continue to do so till he's taken out of the way. This is all code for Claudius is going to go. And then Nero's going to rise. It's, it's, it, this is the code that he's, he's speaking in code. The fulfillment of this dreadful prophecy of scripture does not haunt our future. Its accomplishment lies in our distant past. It was relevant. It was a relevant warning of events looming for the first century. Revelation 1, 1. Go ahead. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant, John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, to all things that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it for the, the time, time is near. near. Revelation 22, 7. 
Behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of this prophecy of this book. And behold, I am coming quickly. And my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming quickly. He says it three times. Guys, Revelation is over. He came. He's here. Revelation 13. We're going to end with this. Then stood. Uh, let me bring it up so that they can see it too here. Then I stood on the sand of the sea and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns and his horns, ten crowns and on his head, a blasphemous name. Now the beast, which I saw was like a leopard. His feet were like the feet of a beast and his mouth, like the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave him his power, his throne and great authority. And I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded and his deadly wound healed and all the world marveled and followed the beast. So they worshiped the dragon who gave authority to the beast and worshiped the beast saying, who is like the beast who was able to make war with him for he was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. And he was given authority to continue for 42 months. The Jewish war lasted three and a half years from AD 67 to AD 70, which is 42 months. Then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven, emperor worship. It was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome, overcome them. And the authority was given uh, him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. And all who dwell on earth will worship him, whose names have not been written in the book of the life of the Lamb from the foundation of the world. If anyone has an ear to hear, let him hear. He who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He who kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. He is the patience and the here is the patience and the faith of the saints. And you can read. Well, that. I'll read that in a second. But I it always bothered me in modern end times theory that the saints would be overcome. Mm -hmm. And and that's why people have laid down right now because mm -hmm. they believe that we yeah. are supposed to be overcome. Yeah. But we saw clearly with the with these Christians being used as Roman candles mm -hmm. to light Nero's courtyard, being sent to the lions, mm -hmm. dressed in as as, as as sheep and animals, mm -hmm. they were overcome. Yeah. God's not and here's the here's the interesting part about this, guys. What a cruel God we would serve. If they were to be overcome then, and then for it to happen again. Mm -hmm. It happened one time. Yeah. They were overcome. He yeah. was given power to overcome them one time. Mm -hmm. Not a second time. Right. Okay? That's what we need to understand. That's really, really, really important. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead and read The beast 11. from the earth. Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth. And he had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon. He had exercise, he exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. He performs great signs that he even makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs, which was he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast 
who was wounded by the sword and lived, he was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads, and that no one may buy or sell except one has the mark or the name of the beast and the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate, which means it had to be added, it had to be added together, the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. His number is 666. It couldn't be any more plain. It's the number of a man. There's a man that exists, guys. Wink, wink. You have to add it together. And when you add his name together, Neron Kaiser, you get 666. Wink, wink. Do you know who I'm talking about? Wink, wink. Case cut closed. Absolutely closed. And I found really interesting that over and over again in these uh, um, videos that we watched tonight, there was a theme. They all said, you know, a lot of these people were afraid that Nero was alive. That Nero was alive. And over and over again, we read here, and he came back to life. It was a theme. These people were like, I don't think Nero's dead. I think he's alive. I think he's alive. I don't think he actually died. Right. Okay. And here's the deal. Some may say, I hear some people saying, after watching this whole episode, very, very few people, that all of that takes a lot to put together and that seems really complicated. Okay, that's a lot. No, actually, this right here is the absolute unequivocal, most straightforward, pure and simple interpretation of this. And what has to happen in order for this to happen 2000 plus some odd years in the future with someone else, something else, with computer chips and all of this and, and all that stuff is the most complicated interpretation of this that I have ever heard of. This is the most simple and it only seems complicated because you weren't taught it as history. You weren't taught the history, but it is literally the most simple interpretation of all this. Now, like I said, I wanna know what you guys think about all of this. Open and shut case based on the history, says Sherry, Isaiah 41. Open and shut case. I hope that you guys share this one with all of your friends. I think that this one is a, um, it's pretty much undeniable. Yes. I don't think that there's any interpretation here except for, I can see some people still stuck on the First Thessalonian 4 deal. But as for the man of lawlessness and the Antichrist and the number of the beast... There is no way to see it any other way. Literally. Especially when you bring in um, him, him talking about the temple that had to have been already done. The temple of God. Okay. God's temple. Remember, Sydney on God's Facebook temple. says, this was laid out nicely. Thank you so much. Thank you, Sydney. Thank you, Sydney. Did I say Sydney? Sydney. That was, we were talking about our dog that died yesterday and her name was Sydney. So Cindy, I'm sorry if I misspoke and said your name wrong. I hope you guys, uh, uh, honestly, guys, I mean, this is it. Boom, done. And I hope it was worth it. I know that last week we're like, okay, do y'all want to know who the Antichrist is? This episode's going to be. And what I tell you, I said, put on your hats. Or maybe y'all aren't commenting because your brains are splattered all over the place because your head blew up because we blew your mind. Okay? Oh, Patrick Gallagher says, Nero was the best. The, was beast. the beast, the man of lawlessness. 
100%. Salty Mama says 100%. Gives a peace sign and smiley face. <laughs> Some of you that have the um, the purple and it's made you a moderator, I made you guys moderators a while ago. So if you have the little purple in your moderator, I did that a while ago. Um, so, yeah, I think that's it. No when you comments. look into the numbers. I have no comment. There are more than Nero that equals 666. Mockingjay. You mean there's more people? No, there's more things that equal C66, like the beast. Oh, the yeah, beast yeah. Would make 666 yes, too. the beast equals 666. There's a lot of different things that equal 666 that actually apply to this. Yes. But what's really interesting is when you see the second fragment in Latin, it says 616. Which and means Caesar Nero. Nero without the. Right, but it was Caesar Nero yeah. is what it meant. Nero, not instead of the Nero and Kaiser. Right, it was Nero and Caesar. Yeah, without so, the... Yeah, I mean, guys. Instead of Neron, it was Nero. This is... This is it. You know, if you want it to repeat sometime in some distant future, okay, 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 okay. Bring me the proofs for where it's written in the Bible or where you're getting that from, okay? But that's literally the only... The only thing. Oh, and so so Mockingjay was saying, yes, other names other than Nero. Okay, yes, other names would have added up to 666, but none of the other names met all of the overwhelming qualifications that Neron Kaiser meant, met right then, right there, at that point in history, where if we had said the jab, everybody's going to know right now what we're talking about. And with John writing that right then, everyone... And who remember, he, who, who had read that letter would immediately go, he's talking about Nero. And it who, was not a mystery. Who put him on the Isle of Patmos? Nero. Nero. Okay, he had a beef. Um, so. So I hope you guys. This uh, was a great explanation, says Salty Mamas. It just reaffirms all that never made sense. Thank you for all of your time. Um, Sherry says, yes, but in context, Nero is the one that checks all of the boxes. 100%. Yeah, um, I just hope that this sets you free, that you're not looking for a rapture, you're not looking for the Antichrist, and we got work to do. 100%. Let's spread the kingdom of God, and uh, so yeah, speaking of spreading the kingdom of God, you guys can help us spread the kingdom of God. You want to tell them about uh, our event? With the banners for freedom? I did at the start of the show. Yeah, I know. Reiterate okay. People if can. you guys live in Ohio, again, I know this is video that's going to go down in history and y'all will see it and you'll be like, oh, that, that happened five years ago. Okay. Sorry. Well, right now it's happening right now. So July 4th, if you want to see the sound of freedom and you live within like a, a driving distance Jim of Ohio. Jim Caviezel movie about the sex trafficking with Tim Ballard. Plan on coming for a 115 showing and plan on making a trip of it because we will be doing events for three days. I think on day two, we're going to go and visit Krista Elisha's. So, um, on the, on July 3rd, we're going to be at Sparks in the Parks here in Milford. July 4th, we're going to see the movie and then we're going to go to Loveland's Fireworks. That's down the street from us. And then July 5th, we'll be in Oxford with Chris Elijah. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. I'm really excited about this. So, yeah. um, stay tuned and look for that. Mockingjay says, I see where you're going with this on a good track with it. How can I contact you to share some more stuff that I found? You can send us an email. Can't promise I will respond, but I will get it. Massfaith33, that's M-A-S-F-A-I-T-H-3-3 at gmail.com. But what I would say to you is this, before you ask me to look at your stuff, watch episodes. And this is a lot to ask. 
Watch episodes one through sixteen. Oh. Okay, of, of Revelation fair. Red That's Pill. Sixteen times like three. I will read your email, but you still you have to do something. You have to watch all these other That's, episodes. Unfortunately, we're on episodes, and they're all like three hours. I know. But we're we're cutting this one. You under. are doing great work. Great info shared. Good to look into it all. Awesome. Okay, we will see you guys next time for Fridays, six p.m. Eastern Standard Time brighteon.tv and then following that we have an after show where we do on rumble and d live and facebook and um cloud hub and you can come we will bring this week's latest news so stay tuned for that and come back every week every wednesday you can also join the kingdom roundtable on mondays which is the kingdom roundtable on rumble they go live every when every monday at 8 p.m eastern and Standard we got Time. some mail and so we'll probably do that friday uh you can send us your letters and if you want us to we'll read them on air um, if they're not super lifelong novels, uh, PO box one zero seven Milford, Ohio, four, five, one, five, zero, and getting yourself out of the horror of Babylon. How are you going to do that? You're going to call ITM trading one eight, six, six, nine, five, seven, 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 six. If you have an IRA, if you have savings, if you have a 401k, if you have all these things, you're like, I want to get out of the paper dollar. I want to get out of this kind of Babylonian system. I want to get into gold and silver. You want to call ITM trading or go to learn.itmtrading.com forward slash chicks and get something that is real. If you don't hold it, you don't own it. Shields are made of metal. They are not made of paper or digital numbers on a bank account i'm telling you there is a there is a judgment that is coming guys we are not at the end of days we are in the last days we've been in the last days for two thousand years okay but we are expanding the kingdom of god and as we do that we are crushing evil one of those things that's going to be crushed is the federal reserve the dollar. federal reserve and the paper fiat dollar and economic collapse is coming we will survive we will thrive you will survive you will thrive and how do can you be prepared for that and that's by getting out of the system oh isaiah uh says i just got two more silver coins today ram of calvary with yeshua in hebrew so pretty oh that's awesome so cool so cool all right mocking jay says thanks ladies my place on wednesdays from now on boom so glad that you're here you are awesome okay guys we'll see you guys later we love you god loves you god bless remember it's not just a conspiracy theory if it's actually the truth and we know who the beast is we know who the man of lawlessness is and we do not need to be afraid of anything coming from the future but we do need to be diligent to be doing what we're supposed to do which is taking all power all authority and expanding the kingdom that's what you want to do all right leah this was a great show thank you and thank you guys for watching we're so glad that you're here we are so glad that you are part of the resistance chicks family i cannot i look say forward that to wednesdays it's my favorite i have to tell you this is thank you for listening guys. yes this thank is, you for listening obviously you can tell this is a passion of ours and mine and i've put endless hours of into this because it's so important to me and i love that it's now important to you patriot gallery says the cbdc's the central bank digital currencies is the beast of Satan. There's, it's all just satanic. It's demonic. Okay, all of it is. All of that stuff. We the have beast to come out revived from amongst them and be these be ye separate. But it's not the actual beast. It's not the actual mark of the beast. But it is a mark of the devil, right? Exactly. Yeah. All right. We'll see you guys next time. Revelation Red Pill Wednesdays, where you are learning to take dominion over the whole planet. Bye, guys. Let's go.